0: Well, welcome, Tommy Mannion, great to have you here, and Kyle, great to have you here as well. Thank you very much for having us. So, Tommy, having you here and your son, Kyle, has been uh, a big dream of mine to be able to interview you because you, whether you know it or not, you've been an a, a inspiration to me and, a, and somewhat of a mentor to me through other people, mostly through two close friends of mine, you know, Doug Carpenter, a close friend of ours that passed away a couple of years with COVID, and Bobby Smith and both of them are close friends of mine and they were, you know, very familiar with you and your career. Yep. So over the years, I've heard many great stories of your successes and, and uh, escapades over the years. And I really wanted to get to be able to to sit down and chat with you about your career and, and what you did and so forth. So, again, thank you, gentlemen, for being here.
1: Thank you for the invite.
0: Good deal. Well, listen, you know, the first thing I want to say, Tommy, that I really wanted to kind of document your career in in the quarter horse world and horse world in general is, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but you're last of the old generation. You know, how old are you now? 81. 81. And I don't mean this disrespectfully, but people, of, people your age and older, a lot of the great ones, Buster, Buster Welsh, you know what I mean? Um... Uh, Don Dodge, a lot of those guys of that era, what was his name, Pat, we spoke about him last night, Pat Patterson, Patterson. a lot of guys of that, Tony Amarillo, a lot of those guys have passed on that grew up in your era, correct? Yes. You know what I mean? And horse training was different back then, okay? Uh, And we're losing, in my opinion, because everything has got so specialized in the horse worlds now, you know we're going to talk specifically the Western performance industry, you know cutting reining cow horses, okay and and so I'm not going to speak for the English industry or other or racing industries, but those three industries is um, Everything has got so specialised now, Tommy. You know, of only cutting horse trainers, only reining horse trainers, and only cow horse trainers. Where when you were a young man getting into this business, you know, you had to do a little bit of everything to survive. You showed halter horses, you did pleasure horses, you did reining, you did cutting. You know, you did a lot of different events because that's how you had to make a living because the industries weren't big enough to be able to make a living just off cutting or just off reining. So you are have wanna... a
1: bad habit, I like to eat. You like
0: to eat, yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. So you had to do what you do. Just like when I got started, I started colts, I did problem horses, I did whatever the fuck I could get my hands on to eat, you gotta survive. But with those old school trainers like yourself, and I mean that in a respectful way, there was a whole skill set of horsemanship that me personally think is getting lost now. Because we've got so specialized in each division, we're losing a lot of that all-round great horsemanship from something as simple as getting a piece of shit horse tra- on a trailer. It don't want to get on a trailer. Ten-year-old stud don't want to get on a trailer. I think a lot of trainers today that are so specialized, without, a, without a, a, drugs, they couldn't get the bitch on there. Mm-hmm. You know, we've lost some just pure horsemanship skills. Of And back in your day, the drugs weren't there. You had to get in their head. You had to walk with them. You had to fix these situations where now we've got so much drugs, you can just dope one if it doesn't want to behave. It don't want to stand still, dope it. Don't want to stand still for farrier, dope it. Don't want to get on a trailer, dope it. Where in your era, that wasn't really an option. Okay, so I just think, personally, there's a lot of horsemanship skills that are getting lost, and with that, some stories and techniques and things. Do you agree with what I just said, or you say, Clinton, you're full of shit, I disagree?
1: <laughs> no, no, I I totally agree. Um, and, and you know, a lot of it gets back to something that you are, were the great, greatest at is Keeping a horse in a receptive frame of mind. Mm-hmm. They've got to be in a receptive frame of mind if they're going to learn. Yes. You are the greatest at that. Well, thank you. Yes.
0: I always say you want respect without fear. They got to respect you, but they can't sure. fear you. Sure. If they fear you, it ain't going to work either way. You, you know what I mean? Sure. So, Tommy, let's back up a little bit here uh, to get back to kind of the beginning, okay? Because uh, I want to learn all about your career and, and, and more importantly, how you changed from industry to industry as far as, you know, being an, from what I understand from through Doug and Bobby, you were back in your era. You were the greatest at the all round stuff, the pleasure horses, the halter horses, all that stuff. And then eventually how you branched into the cutting horses, the breeding game, smart little Lena. You know, I, I always loved learning about how people jump from not so much industries, I suppose it's industries, but you know, from one, one market to another market. What makes the jump? What makes you see something coming, et cetera? So how about we just go back to the beginning and let's talk about that. Where were you raised? What year were you born?
1: I was born in 1942. Okay, we're about uh, A little town called St. Clair, Missouri, which is right out of St. Louis. Okay. And um, I ran away from home when I was 15. Oh, truly. And I uh, broke my mother's heart, she was a school teacher. And um, so, um, I uh, I never went to high school. Mm-hmm. I only have an eighth grade education. Yeah. And I could never see why it was more important to me to be riding than be sitting in some classroom, which is- So you had a passion for horses from a little kid? From day
0: one. Who gave you that passion? Your mother, your father, was your, was, was your dad a horse trainer? Was your dad a horse trainer? How no. did you get horses in your life? Let's back that up, you know? Okay.
1: My mother was a schoolteacher, my dad was a car mechanic. Okay, And uh, so
0: where the hell do horses come into this mixture? Because it doesn't know. sound like a horse family, does I, it?
1: I don't know, and you know, uh, my family came from meager. Yes, means. humble beginnings. Yes, and um, they, my first horse, uh, I don't know why, that. how I got started with this horse deal, but they uh, provided my first horse, cost 60 bucks. Mm-hmm. And the saddle cost 20. Mm-hmm. And um, that first horse was about 25 years old. And my I remember my grandmother telling my mother, Dorothy, that horse is gonna fall on that kid. <laughs> she was so and old and feeble. <laughs> you know? And so uh, anyway, my next horse uh, cost 100 bucks. And my mother and dad were very supportive uh, of my hobby, passion. Mm-hmm. And um, so that took away from my uh, yearning to go to school. Yes, I can identify with that. So school was it, basically an inconvenience. It was terrible inconvenience. So
0: when you were a kid learning to ride, was anybody teaching you? Would you just figure it out by
1: yourself? Were you reading books? Like, how did
0: you get some skill
1: as a kid, you know? We would uh, we would neighbors. go to weekend horse shows. Okay. Um, it, they weren't quarter horse shows. They were just... Uh, game shows more or less, barrel racing, pole bending. They had Sport a Sport horse kind of gaming, exactly. speed events. Time events, yes. Okay. And um, so, but to answer your question, no, we didn't have a youth program mm-hmm. back then. And so I would uh, watch who was being successful and then I would go home and I'd try to emulate them. Yep. Some of it worked and some of it didn't. Mm-hmm. Back in those
0: days, even as a kid, were people willing to share information or was it kept kind of secret? Like they, everybody had their secret shit that everyone wouldn't have spread. Like, you know, op, you know, today everything's out there. YouTube, there's so much training information for the world now, which I think oh, is positive, that, that if you want to learn something, it's out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. But in those yeah. days, was it freely exchanged between kids and trainers and things or was it kind of kept a little bit more secret? Like when you said you had to observe, if you ask questions, would people answer them? How was the culture back then?
1: I was really, really fortunate and blessed that there's been so many people that would were free to help me. Mm-hmm. And but I'm talking about specifically as a kid getting started. I, that's, yes. that's what okay. I'm talking about. Right and uh, you know, I I think so much of my success that that I've had is due to my ability to gather people around me who know more than I do. Love it. And. I can look back, and we will today. About anything I wanted to learn, I would go ask, and and everybody was helpful. That's what I want to get at. So they were. It was a helpful culture. Absolutely. Okay. Good. Absolutely.
0: And uh, so, anyway, I uh, you want me to go on with yeah that yeah I, I, I want to know from the start. So you so you, so, you hate school. Yeah. You want you love horses. You want to ride horses. So basically, somewhere around 15 years old, you said, "Screw it! I want to what make a living from training horses." What
1: happens? There was never any doubt in my mind that I was going to have a future in, in the horse business. Okay. You know, so many times you talk to young kids, said, "Hey, what are you going to do when you grow up?" And most nine out of ten I'm gonna say I don't know yet I, I don't I haven't decided yeah well I never did have to answer that question I always knew that's awesome so
0: and your parents were supportive of it even though they didn't come from money they were supportive to say encourage you they weren't starting to say hey you know uh Tommy don't be a horse trainer everybody's fucking broke that does that were, were they positive or not you know my, what I'm saying? They, were,
1: they were positive but my mother always said you know that's That's good, what you want to do, but you have to have a career. Mm -hmm. You have to decide what you're going to do. Well, that's what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so um, I don't want to go to school. Mm -hmm. And uh, my mother and dad took the approach that instead of forcing me or saying, hey, you're going to school, uh, the sheriff of uh, our little community was a good friend of the family. Uh So my mother mainly my mother, uh, thought that it would have more meaning to have him come and tell me that, you know, there's a law. You have to go to school till you're 16. Okay. So first day of high school, I didn't go, um, that night the sheriff comes to the house <laughs> for dinner. Okay. And, uh, I thought that was a little odd, but anyway, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so he, it, during the meal, he says, Tommy, he said, uh, your parents tell me that you don't want to go to school. And I said, no, I really don't. Mm-hmm. So he said, well, I, I tell you, he said there's a law that you have to go to school until you're 16. And you're 15. And I'm 15. <clears throat> and he said, I'll be here in the morning, pick you up, and I'm going to take you to school. And he did. And he said it pretty serious, too. Just like that. Yeah, just serious. That's, this is the law. <laughs> I'm going to come get you. Yeah. And he did. Yeah. So then that night... I pack my clothes in a paper sack. Yeah. Next morning i tell my mom and dad, goodbye, I'm going to school. I'll see you tonight. So I go to the bus station. And- uh, Just in the local town somewhere? Little town, 3,500 people. Everyone knew each other. Okay. So the lady at the bus station, she, uh, I tell her where I want to go. And- um, Where was that? Well, it was Mejia, Texas. Okay, fair enough. And uh, the way we got to Mahia, Texas was uh, back when I was 10, 11, 12 years old, we had a family friend that would go to Fort Worth every year to the stock show. Mm -hmm. And he would invite me and my dad to go. And so on one of those trips, in fact, it would have been the year that I was 15, um, we were setting up in the stands and met a man and his wife and uh, they invited us out to the ranch at Mahea, Texas. And so we went just to visit and his name was Mano Miles. Okay. And so he was he was a roper, okay. along with a rancher. So I said, well, I'd really like to learn to rope. And So just out of the kindness of his heart, he said, well, you know, after you get out of school, why don't you come down and, you know, I'll yeah. teach you. Well, <laughs> great. <laughs> I can use that. Yeah. So, anyway. Uh, so that's how you got the bus ticket. That was in January, uh-huh. and then we go around. I go through my eighth grade. Mm-hmm. High school is going to start next September. I'm not going. Yeah. So I go to the bus depot and I buy a ticket. I try to buy a ticket. The lady goes to the back and calls my mother, and she okay. said.
0: So everybody's wise to each other. There, See, that's the cool thing about back in those days. Everybody had each other's back. Everybody was watching each other's kids. Everybody was trying to raise the kids as a group Absolutely. a little bit. Yes, that that's lost now, but yeah, it's cool.
1: So, so the she lady, rats you out. The lady there, she said, that she calls my mother in the back and she says, Dorothy, I think Tommy's down there and I think he's running away from home. <laughs> and so my mother said, well, where's he trying to go? And so. She told her, mm. and she said, okay, yeah, I know where he's going. Go ahead and sell him the ticket. Oh, truly. That's so I true. buy the ticket, ride the bus for two days, and um, I don't think the people knows that I'm coming, right? Well, my mother called ahead. Oh, truly. She said She Tommy's on his way down there and told told him the story, and they said, that's fine. So anyway, uh, they were a great, great family, and so after I was there about three weeks, well, I, I after about three days, I called my mother and dad, told them where I was. <laughs> they already knew. So, um, were
0: you expecting her to be mad, Tommy? You didn't know they were already in the in the know. I, but were you? I thought she'd you be mad be and scared.
1: Yes. Scared. Yes. Where are you? You yeah. disappeared. You know. So after I'm there a while, did um,
0: they did they welcome you when you got down there? Oh,
1: in? yeah. Good. They, people. they acted surprised to see me. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's in yeah. on the joke except yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, glad you could come back. And so um, after I'm there a while, they see that I'm s- serious. Mm. Everybody thought I was going to get homesick Yes. and go home. So, that wasn't in the cards. So anyway, he tells me, he, Mr. Miles, this is with my mother's help. Look, you're not 16. You have to go to school until you're 16. You're welcome to stay but you have to go to school here. Okay. So I thought, wow. So if I have to go to school, I might as well go back home. Okay. So that's what I did. That was the way they got me back home. Okay. So I was real close on my birthday to being 16. Mm. Um, So I, we didn't have a big family fight. I said, look guys, I just don't want to go. And I'm not saying they did the right thing as parents. Maybe that's not the way I would have handled it. If he would have said that when he was 15, but anyway, so. Tommy, I can relate to,
0: I left high school at 15. My parents let me go. I I don't have, I didn't graduate high school, never went to college, can barely spell my own fucking name. (laughs) You know what I'm trying to say? So there's two types of education in the world. There's what I call book smart, and then there's fucking street smart. Me and you are street smart. And if I had, and very few book smart people, universities, teachers, shit like that, you know, professors, they're book smart. Very few book smart people have street smarts. Mm -hmm. So if I had to pick between the two, I'll take street smarts. Doug Carpenter was street smart.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Bobby Smith was street smart. Yep. There's a difference. Street smart people are hungry. They're cunning. They're workaholics, etc. They find a way, Knows knows no part of their vocabulary. You know what I mean? So you yep. were going to find a way. So I can relate to this because my, in fact, my parents were the only, out of all the people when I said I was going to leave high school at 15, guidance counselors, teachers, family members, the only people that actually supported me were my parents because they knew where I was going. I was going out in the middle of the outback to work with 65-year-old men, like a man, 14 hours a day, seven days a week. I, they knew I wasn't going to get in trouble. Yeah. They knew I was going to be mentored. They yeah. knew I was going to be kept safe. I, I wasn't going to get into and I was too busy working. So I can relate to what you're exactly saying here. So,
1: um, so I, was, I got to be 16, and I went to work in a shoe factory. Okay. Up in Missouri. Up in Missouri. And um, so I, I I'm, I'm thinking ahead. I know at some point I have to go to the army. That's back when we had the draft. Oh, truly. Yeah. But but if you enlist. You have a little more say so about where you're going, and and you get out sh- quicker.
0: Right. So if you so, if you volunteer for it, you got a little bit of say,
1: as opposed exactly. they come after you and pick you. Exactly. Okay. Very good. So when I was 17, I joined the army, and um, served my whole time in Fort Ord, California. Okay.
0: How many years was that?
1: Well, I, I let me back up. I went in the army, and then when I got out, you you have to be in the National Guard. Okay and so i was in the national guard for 9 years not really active duty it's yes. just on call yeah. you know so anyway then when i get out i uh, come back and how old are you now now at this stage of your life uh 18 18 right i was on. in a year okay one year right so I come
0: back. What did you like? The, just to back up a little on the on the training, did you like it? Did you fucking hate it? Was it good structure for you at your age? In the army, like, you know, yeah, yeah. Did it give? What if you could look back now at your age and say that year taught me this, or that year was a complete waste? What would you have to say?
1: This is going to be a long-winded answer to your short question. Okay, I uh, uh, I, I was in the army, uh, not. Not the, I mean, the Army where you, you carry yeah. your, your gun and you walk. Yeah. You know, and I, not the Air Force or anything no. like that. So anyway, I um, I was a boxer. And so when I was in the Army, I boxed and I was on the boxing team. And um, getting back to your question earlier about people help you. Yeah. Uh, the sergeant of our platoon, um, he liked to box. I was the smallest one yep. in our platoon, and he was the biggest. Yeah, and so anyway, we would um, and we were both on the boxing team. Well, when we when we would have our fights, well, he'd work my corner, and yeah. and I'd work his. But I didn't have much to do because his fights didn't get out the first round. Yeah, Mind what the distance <laughs> Don't let him lie. He's scrappy. Oh
0: yeah, I can tell that right now. I would so not scrappy. underestimate your old yeah. man. One i I've heard yeah, the fucking stories, and I'll tell you what, <laughs> I would not underestimate. it's a fool to underestimate you. Yeah. So uh
1: but my point is that he was there to help me. Biggest guy yeah. uh, you know He was a good mentor for He him. called me Peanut, but <laughs> didn't make me But yeah. anyway, he was there <laughs> I didn't to know help that. me. Yeah. And so in all walks of life. To this day, there's been people that every time I turn around, people were there. It was Mm. just, I look back and I said, wow, you know. The right people seem to show up at the right time. It was the fickle finger of fate. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So, and I've been blessed in that regard. Yeah. So, um, came back out of the Army. So now I have to go back. I want to go back to the horses. So I get a job at Houston, Missouri, not very far from here. Mm -hmm. And um, there was a man that owned a, a ranch there. Um he uh he wasn't a trainer. <clears throat> he was an owner that wanted to do more. Yeah. And he had patience with me because at 18 I wasn't very well schooled. I could I would I wouldn't fall off. Yeah. But, but your skill I wasn't set, much of a trainer.
0: Yeah, your skill set was was average to pull. Would yeah. that be a fair and statement?
1: He, yes. And so he had patience with me. And um like I say, I would go to the shows and I'd watch who was winning and then I would go home and try to prepare my horses that way and so it just kind of, I was there for three years. When you watch the
0: people at the horse show, because I can remember watching Ian Francis in Australia as a kid. I'd just sit on the fence and just massive creeper, just watch this son bitch all fucking day mm-hmm. because you could just tell what he was doing was four steps ahead of everybody else. So when you were watching these people win- winning, uh, would you ever walk up to him and ask him a question were
1: you confident enough to say
0: hey i'm tommy you know could i ask you what you're doing All okay the time. and
1: and they you were met with positivity absolutely that's awesome absolutely mm-hmm. as i look back i can never remember a time when someone said hey go away. i'm busy right now i'm yeah, busy yeah. you know yeah. um so and what
0: were the events that you were really studying back as a kid like were you watching the rope trainers the pleasure horses what what You know you, originally you got started in the gaming bow racing fall, pole bending yes. that kind of shit What are you watching now
1: at 18? What are the, events? the shows that I was going to yes, what when are work for that? Yeah, that man. guy his name was Nolan Hutchison um, It they were by now they're AQHA shows. Okay, so and he had a stallion So I showed the, the horse at halter and then I showed him. Uh, he was a two-year-old. And then I showed him in pleasure, and mm-hmm. also showed him in raining, and didn't have much to do with the cutting at that point. So all-round horseman, all-round sport. Yep. Yes. So uh, I worked there three years, and basically training horses all day. That's it. Mm-hmm. Then um, I I had an opportunity to move to Pacific, Missouri, which is in da- uh, in St. Louis. Uh, to a guy that was really focused, he wanted to buy a big time stud, so on and so forth. And again, there he was. He gave me an opportunity. Yeah. You met
0: him at a horse show. Where'd you meet this guy? I, uh,
1: I did meet him at a horse show, and then and he lived in St. Louis, and he had a daughter that was interested in horses, so he wanted to support her, and so that was kind and of kind of have his own in house kind train. of the mix, right? Okay. So. Um, we bought this stud, a horse called Bar Money, and he was a racehorse, and we eventually made a supreme champion out of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, a supreme champion it has to be a triple-A racehorse, mm-hmm. and he was a real good-looking horse, so the halter points, they weren't hard. Yeah. And then I had to get him to where he would show him the pleasure, which is difficult for, for a, a race horse. Yeah. You know, And so, a supreme champion has to have performance points in two events, he already had the racing points. Mm. So I put the pleasure points on him and Halter was a given. And So the so you tried to train him as a pleasure horse after he'd done his running career? Yes, he Holy was a triple shit. A racer. Yeah. <laughs> you were a
0: fucking yeah. sucker for punishment, weren't you? Some bitch comes off the track hey, with a we, jockey whipping his we, ass, we, and you're trying to turn this some bitch into a pleasure we, horse. Yeah. And this is back when those fucking drugs are around, Tommy. So you know, you're, you're old school, aren't you? I want to hear all the tricks of the trade no, to get God. that some bitch to slow down, because I know they're in there, so long, come clean.
1: Long days, a lot of long days. But he was a good... Real smart horse, right. and a real good mover. Yep. And um, so, anyway, that uh, that was really my first entree into the upper, uh, another step. So
0: that second owner was he willing to buy you good stock? Was did he have the money to put into stock? Did he let you buy what you wanted to ride?
1: Did he pick them? How did that? how did the stock? You no, know, he knew nothing about horses. Uh, we bought that horse at a sale. He gave 135000 for it. So back in those days, that must have been that's a tremendous, a, tremendous
0: yeah. like, tremendous like amount into, <clears throat> all jokes aside, would that be a million today in today's money? That, like, when I say a million, I'm talking about the wowness. Yes. you get what I'm saying? Yes, like, back, that's gotta be at least a million dollar horse today, or maybe two million?
1: I agree, okay.
0: I agree. So yeah. he must have had a lot of damn confidence in you, Tommy, to drop that kind of he cash. Was. On a twenty-one-year-old guy, were you being six? Were you winning by this point in the all-round? shit? Are you getting some skill set? Are you, you know what I mean? He must have seen something. That horse in was you.
1: the next step, okay, uh, at, to the next level, right? Um, the the goal was to make that horse a supreme champion. Yes, and there's only like um, even today, there's probably only twenty or twenty-five. In the entire AQHA. Oh, truly. And at that time, he would have been like the second or third one. Right.
0: And that was so a big deal because people wanted to breed to a horse breed that to could him. do yeah. that? Yes. So did you get it accomplished?
1: Yes. You did? Yes. So then he stood at stud? He, he did, but, but I was only there for two years. Okay. And I had a an, another client that was a real good friend. Well, the man that bought the stud, his daughter lost interest. Okay. She went on Bigger and better things she thought and so then he didn't have a reason to be in horse business fair enough, so um, I there again. I was so fortunate. I had a client from Springfield, Illinois That had had horses with me and he said hey, why don't you come to Springfield, Illinois? And he said um, We'll rent the Illinois State Fairgrounds and you just train out of there and it so it was a I wasn't working for him yeah. I was working for myself at that time, and but it was a wonderful opportunity. It was a, a wonderful place in Springfield, uh, Springfield, Illinois. Okay, we rode in the Coliseum every day. They had a mile racetrack there. You needed to go lope a horse or whatever. It was just so you had the facilities
0: that could really do some stuff. absolutely. Now back in those days, in the other two jobs, people don't have covered arenas in these days. You're no. all outside. No. I'm asking, that, that's yeah. a question. When
1: I was at Pacific, Missouri, the guy would mm. borrow money. We didn't have it in the arena. A lot of times in the wintertime, I'd have to take the tractor and scoot snow off the arena before yeah. I could ride, yeah, yeah, you know. And so, but that changed when we got to Springfield. Just it it was a wonderful facility, Yeah, you know. And um, so that... Um, that was really second, third, and fourth step.
0: In so when field. you when you move to that new facility, you're only training for the outside customers by this point. Correct. What is your skill set like? You're tra- you're showing in halter horses, pleasure horses, horsemanship. What what are the main events that you're training for?
1: The all the events that you just mentioned, plus um, and keep in mind the AQHA at that point did not did not have the youth activity program. Yeah. Okay where you could start out. Yeah. Okay. So, and by then, I had met the most wonderful lady in my life mm-hmm. that I've ever had or ever will have, his mother. Okay. And uh, she was uh, a writer. Okay. Was she
0: one of your customers?
1: She... You dirty son of a bitch. No, no, no. Was she one of your customers? Come on
0: now. Come fucking clean, Tommy. No, it's funnier than that. Okay, well, let's get into it. I might need to. Yeah, Carl, go out the back and close your ears, motherfucker. It's about to get real with Tommy and your mother.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Come on, Tommy. Censor it a little. Tommy,
0: you're going to be dead in the next five years, motherfucker. Come clean. Let's just say it.
1: (laughs) Again, the fickle finger of fate, right? Yep. So I I have judged a harsh (laughs) show. In Beloit, Wisconsin. Right. And at the noon break, we'd had all the halter classes at the noon break, I was over getting a hot dog, and this girl comes over, and uh, she was a little on the snooty side. Yeah. And she said, I'd like to know what you didn't like about my mare."
0: Uh-huh.
1: So you're judging. Just I judge, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And so I said, well, uh, she was real straight in her pastures, and I said, you know, I'm performance harsh-minded, and I don't like. Horse, any any horse that's in the pastures is going to be short-strided mm-hmm. and so I, I just didn't like that about her. She just turned around and walks off. <laughs> so a year later I'm at the Chicago International showing and uh, I showed a mare there um, got back to the stall and this lady that girl, was there with two of her friends, and she said, she didn't say, hi, how are you? She said, I'd like to know if you'd like the front legs on that mare you just showed. And yeah. I said, no, I really don't. Uh, it, my mare yeah. was, it was, I, I hadn't bought her. She, yeah. you are just showing her for I'm fun. I'm just showing her, you yeah. Know? And I said, no, I really don't. I said, I remember you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> A year ago. Yeah. And so, anyway, she just turns around and walks off. Okay. And so, another year goes by and a f- mutual friend of ours introduces us. Uh-huh. She doesn't know about our past, but yeah. when I say our past, yeah. I mean- She hates nuts. Inter-
0: to yeah, <laughs> the, pa- the past that you're a jackass and she hates you. That past? Yeah,
1: let's keep Yeah. Moving. So <laughs> anyway, um, so she introduces us and we, we talk and uh, I needed an employee and she needed a job. In fact, she was on her way to a job. Um, Howard Pitzer, did you ever know Howard Pitzer? Too I've like heard that? of his name, yes. I don't know him yet, but i heard of his name. She was on her way <clears> to go <throat> to work for him. Yes. And so, when we were at the show, and so I, we just kept talking, and she, she said, you know, I'm going, I'm taking a new job, and I said, that's too bad, I need an employee. And so, she didn't go. She just, How old are you at this point? At that time? 24? Yes. I'm 24, somewhere around there. Yep. Okay, so she stays on working for you. Yes, she works, now, she was more, I mean, she worked for me five years. Mm-hmm. And, but she was a wonderful horse person, mm-hmm. a wonderful person, and we decided that we would start a youth school. Okay. AQHA didn't have any youth activity programs, and so, Every year we would have two schools at the fairgrounds. It was a wonderful place. The kids would eat, sleep, and ride right there once they got in. And this is over the summer? In the summer. How long would they stay? A
0: week? week. Two weeks?
1: Just a week. Okay. So it was basically kind of like a
0: week horsemanship clinic for kids.
1: They brought their own horse.
0: And so let me back up a little bit there. Did you just see a need for it, Tommy? Was anybody else doing it? Where'd you get the idea from? Did you realize it was money and kids? Like 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 what what made you say, okay, you know, it wasn't being done. So what made you say this is a potential new customer base? I want to
1: know the business side of why you make the decisions you make. I thought it was a way to cultivate new clients. Yes. And like I say, kids didn't have an opportunity to learn. Yes. Because there wasn't a program for yes. them. And so. So it all did two things. It mentored them, fit. and it gave you a potential chance Absolutely. to have uh, customers in the barn. Absolutely. Nothing wrong with that. And so, um, we, uh, she, and I. Her name is Chris. Yes. And um, so, once the kids got there, they never they ate, slept, and rode They're on the fairgrounds. Never left and because, and we had dormitories mm-hmm. there and so uh we would Chris and I would personally along with our other helpers stay at night that we had a lot of responsibility yes with all these kids and yeah. so we stayed right with them yeah and uh, so they would we took 50 at a time and then we would do it again we d- did two of those
0: and you kind of went over all the different disciplines so there'd be a halter seminar you know a, a, we divided
1: a, them into groups group, pleasure they, pleasure seminar whatever they wanted to if we had ten that were, wanted to pleasure and yeah. ten that wanted to do showmanship and ten that wanted to do trail classes and things like that we'd divide them into groups it's awesome so, so wildly successful Yes. Yeah.
0: People, parents jumped on board. Kids jumped on board.
1: Yes. We. um,
0: Did that set a bit of a trend
1: in your area? Other trainers started doing it. It did. It's awesome. Yeah. And uh, so we, like I say, we developed a, a, a new clientele. Yeah. And um, we we just had wonderful customers back then. And the one thing
0: I've never done personally a lot with youth myself, as far as in clinics. In fact, we don't, when I was doing a lot of clinics my whole career, we didn't take anybody under 18. And and the reason, the main reason for that was insurance, Mm -hmm. okay? We live in such a fucked up world now with insurance and people getting hurt and suing everybody. You know, we have to be really protective. So that was the main reason. The second reason why I didn't want to deal with the kids is because you've got, you know, you've got two types of kids. You've got the kids like me and you would have been, and Kyle, that were very passionate wanted to learn, wanted to be there. And then you got the kids that their fucking parents are making them be there. So they put in as little amount of effort as possible, little amount as try. They're basically there under under with a gun to their head, okay. Well, nothing ruins other people's clinic experience. If you've got you know, 20 people in a clinic, and there's 17 adults, and there's three kids that don't wanna be there, <coughs> they're always in the road, yeah. they're always inconveniencing mm-hmm. the people that are paid to be there. So then you're constantly trying to put out fires there. Does that make sense? So that's why it, I just didn't mess with it the It does, i tell you youth, how. As a youth program. But one thing's for sure, I do know there's a lot of money in kids, meaning this. I've had many trainers tell me this over the years, and you tell me if you agree or disagree, Parents will spend gobs of money on their kids, and not just on horses, but anything—motocross, cycling, band, you name it. If, if parents want their kids to be successful, so you know, I've had many trainers tell me over the years, you know, kids, kids, their parents will buy the best horse. They'll buy, they'll, they'll pay for the kid to learn, etc. Was that your experience too?
1: That parents, it, it was, and, and but you know, we, we had within those fifty kids yeah. a week. We had kids with the uh, two thousand dollar horse, yep. and a fifty dollar saddle, yep. And then we had kids with a fifty thousand dollar horse, yep. and a five thousand okay. dollar saddle. So we were all over the place. And what I, what we learned yeah, was, the kids with the down here with the five thousand five hundred dollar horse, yeah. it never got too hot, yeah, it never got t- too rainy, yeah. It they were hungry for knowledge. They were, weren't they? Yes. And you had the rich kids over yeah. there. They want to rest in the stall. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. no, no, come on. Yeah. And so we, um, it, it was, it was amazing just to see how those kids from the lower, cl- not lower class. Yeah, but lower income. Lower income. Yeah, Nothing wrong saying yeah. it. Yes. Yes. But Humble they beginnings. They were hungry for knowledge. Yes. Whatever it takes, and that was kind of goes back to my childhood, your childhood. That's exactly right. You know? Yes.
0: And I've seen that in the academy too. You know, it costs 20 grand to come to my academy. There's kids that have three jobs for three years to save up 20 grand. Yeah. And then there's kids that their parents put the money up or their grandparents. Uh, and as a general rule, I'm not gonna use the word always, but the kids that had to have three jobs to save for three years to come for the academy, they sure as shit take it seriously. Absolutely. I'm not saying they graduate, I'm not saying they're the best hands, but you gotta give them an A plus for fucking try and a back Absolutely. Button. And then there's the kids that they con their grandparents into giving them 20 grand. I don't want to go to college. Let's do the Clint Anderson Academy. And as a general rule, they don't put in anywhere near as much effort. Now, on the odd occasion, you get somebody that came from a, a little bit more of a wealthy background that really tried hard. And I was great with those people. But I know what you're talking about. There's, you know, I think, Tommy, and Tommy, if you agree or disagree, you know, you need money to raise children. They're expensive, you know, just to educate them, clothe them, et cetera. But there is a point where too much money cripples them. Absolutely. You know, if you're too poor and you can't feed your kids, you're crippling them. Yeah. But on the opposite side, if you've got too much fucking money and you're spoiling these little son bitches, that cripples them too. Absolutely. So there's got to be some middle ground yeah. there where you've got to have enough money to feed them, clothe them, educate them. But beyond that, fuck them.
1: Absolutely.
0: You, you know what I mean? They've got to go do it on their own.
1: And... Um, and Would you agree with that? 100%. Okay. 100%. And uh, it gets back to consequences, Yeah, you know? consequences is a big word hard to achieve. But, um...
0: So you do these youth camps, what goes, and you're showing, you've met your wife. You know, are you married by this stage? Yes. You're married. You two are saying, we're gonna build this horse training
1: business. Yes. Okay. We've been together about five years. Yes. And then we got married. So
0: it's going successful. Is there a big quarter horse show? Is there a big quarter horse industry? What years are we talking
1: now? Uh well, 25 from 81 is what. Um, I was about 25. Yeah. Okay. You know, uh, okay. 25 years old, and so we would. Um, you we- can make a living training horses.
0: I suppose is what I'm asking. There's yes. enough of a quarter horse circuit yes. that you can go to horse shows regularly. Yes. People will send you horses to train. Yes. Were they sending your horses to train for them to eventually ride to to be broodmares, stallions, a little bit of everything? What was the back in those days? I'm trying to get a feel for who was sending you a horse and for what was their
1: motivation. <coughs> Mainly, the horses were to show. Okay. Uh, not necessarily for them to show. Yeah, for you to if show. If they had kids and they were good and yeah. they, you know that would all 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 together. You okay. know. Okay. I've said this numerous times. I feel so fortunate to be able to make a living doing something I really enjoy. Yes. And uh, long nights, long days, whatever. And so we would have horses, getting back to the all-around mm. uh, aspect, we would have rainers. People bring reining horses. We would have, we didn't have cutting at that time. People bring pleasure horses, um, halter horses, horses for the kids. So we just kind of filled all the... All the gaps. All the gaps. Yeah,
0: yep. Yep. Do you remember what you were even charging back in those days, by any chance? Just for shits and
1: giggles? Training-wise, you mean? It would have been in the ballpark of six, seven hundred.
0: That's include board and training. Yes, board and and training. training. Back in those days, was the quality of stock when, you know, five years into it, you and your wife, and you got the youth camp going and so forth, Um, were you buy Well, you were basically relying on people to send you good horses. Were the horses, you know, shitty? Were the horses average quality, high quality, or the odd high one, and the rest were average? I'm just trying to get a feel of the quality of stock you're trying to show.
1: We had we had some customers that would supply the best. Yes. Um,
0: would they let you go pick these horses? Yes.
1: Yes. They trusted you enough to
0: say, "Here's a checkbook. Let's go buy one." Yes. Yes. And so when you wanted to go buy that great stock, you're in Illinois, where the hell are you going to buy these horses? You're going to Texas, you're going to California. I bought
1: more horses from California than any other state. And the reason for that- yeah,
0: I know that one.
1: The people on the west coast, California, Arizona, the trainers were more advanced than our trainers back in Missouri yep. or Illinois. Mm-hmm. And so,
0: advanced in what level their training ability, the care of horses. Give me some examples of where they were just advancing. Training, okay.
1: And getting back, you mentioned Tony Amaro. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if I had a customer that uh, said, "Hey, my kid's ready for a new horse. Yeah, they're they've outgrown this one." Mm. Um, so I would call Tony, tell him what my need was, and he never told me about a horse that I didn't go buy. Yeah, And sometimes i buy him sight unseen. Mm-hmm. Most of the time I, w- I would go look. Mm-hmm.
2: See Clinton Anderson and his Down Under Horsemanship Method live. Order tickets now for the Walkabout Tour in Conroe, Texas, November 4th and 5th. For ticket information, visit downunderhorsemanship.com.
0: So before the break, Tommy, we were talking about Tony Amarillo where you met him, and, and the whole theme of it was, you said you went back to California to buy a lot of your horses because the stock was better, and they were more advanced, and I wanna dig into that a little bit of, of, well, first of all, do you remember where you met Tommy? You mu- uh, uh, not Tony, not Tommy, Tony. You must have met him at a horse show, I'm gathering.
1: I did, and uh, a friend of ours, uh, I know you knew him, Jack Brannard. Yes, yes. Uh, Jack introduced me to him. I don't remember just where we were, but that was our initial meeting. Okay, and Jack would have been training horses the same time you would have been, correct? And he was in Texas training? No, not yet, he
0: uh, lived in Minnesota. That's right, okay, I forgot about that, that's right. So so if you could name what was better about the horses (laughs) in California, we're gonna get into the training, but the actual horses back in these days, so we're probably talking what, early 70s now? Yes. Probably early 70s? Yes. What was better about the horses in California?
1: They were advanced to our trainer back here, trainers. Um, the concept, they, they got their horses a lot lighter in the bridle. Okay. Um, that was absolute paramount. Mm-hmm. And again, it gets back to um, the, you got to keep them in a receptive frame yep. of mind. Yep. Once you get them soft, you know this, once you get them soft in that bridle, then they can learn. Yes. And they were just advanced with that theory before we were Mm -hmm. back here. Mm -hmm. And um, another thing they would do is get a horse almost fully trained before they ever showed him. Oh, truly. Where back here, our customers are forcing us to hey, take a two-year-old, show him in the pleasure of maturity and and his show career started when he was long two-year-old, three-year-old. Where in California, uh, you could take a horse four or five years old and had never been to a horse show but was fully trained to do three or four events.
0: Yeah? yeah. So what was the customer base in California just had more money to tolerate a horse being in training for three years without being shown? You, there's got to be some reason why they did it. Was it just a culture thing?
1: It was a culture thing, yeah. exactly. Uh, that's a good way to put it. And um, And their customers were attuned to the fact that this is what it took. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is, you know. They accepted it. Exactly. And uh, there was a couple of horses that I bought. Um, I can't really remember their name, but I was at the uh, Arizona uh, uh, State Fair. It was a a circuit of Mm -hmm. shows there. I went to California to see this horse. We had an off day. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to California to look at this horse for a customer and um, bought him and he'd never been to horse show. And so within two days, I had him back in Arizona, showed him in the circuit and he was a champion senior reiner there Okay, and had never been to horse show. It again, it was their philosophy that you get them fully trained before you ever start showing Right. Them.
0: So back in these days, early 70s, and we're just gonna talk rough numbers now. Sure. Would 10 grand get you much of a horse? Would, you needed 50 grand to get much of a horse? You know what, I'm I'm just trying to say for, for perspective, what kind of money did it take back in those days to get you a pretty damn good show horse?
1: That particular horse, it was, it was a gilding, but, and and, and, and I, I'm thinking like 25,000. Right, okay. Now, that's one fully trained? Yes. Okay, do the pleasure all round. No no show record. No show record, yeah. Yeah, but we could take those, especially for kids. We could bring those horses back here. they were fully trained and ready to show. Yeah, yeah.
0: Now, back in those days, the trainers is it is it an industry-wide practice that trainers are getting ten percent commissions? Two trainers are splitting five percent and five percent. Well, back in those days, how did the commission structure get get done? Because you know, a common a common joke in the horse training world is you know, trainers don't make any money from training horses. They get they make money from prize money. And they make money from commissions. Selling. And yep. t- traditionally standing at 10% is a commission that yep. two trainers will split or one trainer will get the whole amount. Was that back in those days too? Yes.
1: that's all I've ever known.
0: Okay, so that was very spoken about. It wasn't under the table. Two trainers no. could have an open conversation. The horse is this much and it pays a commission. He yep. gets 5%, you get 5%. Correct. Okay, fair right. enough then. So you're going back to California, you're buying better quality of horses, bringing them back. When you're bringing them back, are you standing out like dog's balls? Like meaning that these horses really stood out of a higher level than what's in your tri-state area?
1: Yes. Yes. You, that's exactly correct. Yeah.
0: And. So you knew early on horse flesh was everything. If you didn't have the horse flesh, you were just wasting your time.
1: And it was getting more and more competitive. Yes. You know, uh, every year. Yes. And um, so, but, um I just had a good rapport with Tony. Yes. And um he never led me astray. Yep. And um
0: So he'd call you up, and say, hey, I got a horse you need to buy and you'd pretty much buy it.
1: Exactly. And and um and I can name several instances like that. Um Kyle's mother, uh we bought a horse, a customer of ours bought a horse that Tony found mm-hmm. and she won the world on him uh, in English pleasure and yep. he went on to do other events. But um, Tony knew what it what it took to win mm-hmm. and uh, he was a great horse trainer himself. Yeah.
0: Were people doing a lot of breeding back in those days? You know, they were trying to breed their own horses or were most of the breeders on the west coast and down in Texas, you know, what was the culture of breeding these high end? I
1: wasn't involved in the breeding okay, at, at that point yes. in in my life, yes. my career. Uh, it was just mainly toward the shows, Yeah. toward the shows. Right, so how long, so you're on this path, you're renting this facility,
0: you and your wife are training horses, you're doing the youth camps you're obviously getting, get, how are you advancing your career horsemanship wise? Are you hiring people to keep helping you? How are you staying on the top of your game? Like, are you chatting with other trainers? You know, education wise, what are you doing to kind of stay on top or get to the top?
1: All of the above, what you just said. And, and you know, um, one thing that I started doing this real early in my career, it was, it, it was always, uh, if you didn't win, uh, t- trainers would want to cuss the judges. Yes. Right. Okay. Okay. So um, I thought it would be wise to take the opposite approach, and after a show, I would go to a judge and introduce myself. I just shown to him. Yep. And ask him what I could do better. Yes. Uh, what did I do wrong? How can I'm trying to learn what yep. what. Could i do better and so love it i developed a good rapport that yes. that way yes and uh and probably learn a few educational things. It was yes really educational very much so yes and um so you know it was just a, a learning process like that but um were trainers sharing
0: wi- information willingly between each other like you and tony you and you know uh jack Brainerd. Would, would trainers have enough camaraderie where they would tr- exchange ideas and training information or was everything kind of kept a little separate
1: the people that my good friends the trainers yeah that i knew really well Yep. Yeah. Uh, absolutely would a- yes. and a lot of times we'd take each other's horses and work them a week or two
0: okay to try they to were having you. a problem yes. you know
1: that's awesome and so um and I know that I said this early on. There's never a time that I asked for help that there wasn't someone there to help yeah. me. You That's know?
0: Awesome. So at this point, you're going to a horse show with how many horses? You know, you, you got a lot of youth in your divisions now. Are you mainly training youth, or it's a bit of a mixture?
1: All the above. We, like we would go to the Congress. Uh, you're familiar with the Congress, yeah, yeah. Yeah, And we'd take twenty-five or thirty horses there.
0: Was that a lot back in those days? Was, was that a little a bit? That was, was a, a lot. lot. Okay. Yeah. So you kind of got a production going on. So, you got yeah. several horse trailers going down the road. We had our open horses that we showed in- You and your wife.
1: Yes, and then we had customers' horses that they would show or their kids would show. And so, um, and we uh, like we'd go to the Congress. It was a three-week long show, yeah. and we'd show all day long. And then at night we had to school our horses to get ready for the next day. Yeah,
0: because it's the only see people don't realize that they don't go to horse shows. You can't get in the pen until nighttime yeah, So, exactly. you know, you can't practice during the day So you, you're working all day and you're up at all night riding all night Or you get up at midnight and ride from midnight to 6 a.m. Till they close the arena So and yeah, and horse show shows started, are not exactly and as and the much started fun started as the people. Day, yeah. Yeah, people. Yeah, people don't think uh, the horse shows are a lot of work I, I describe horse shows not really as fun as a lot of fucking work. You're going there to work, it's, you know, you're getting about four hours sleep a day.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah, like, you know, I, I, you know, most trainers now charge a day fee, like I charge $100 a day per horse when I'm at the horse show. And people ask what that fee is. I said, that's for me to get up at two o'clock in the fucking morning. You know what I mean? That's for me to get up and ride all fucking night where you're in the hotel and you just get to show up at 10 a.m. and watch your horse show.
1: You know what I mean? Every
0: horse pays $100 that's there every day for that type of shit. You know, it's still not much, but you get what I'm saying. And most trainers have a show fee, and I don't blame okay. them because they are working, you know, the owners don't see the hours that are going into well, the horses. Well, you've got the help that you've got to feed You've got to house the help. Yeah. You've got to feed the help. You've got to transport everybody. So there's no money in it. You're just basically trying to recoup your, you know. It cost me $500 a day to be at a horse show. Between me and my helper, and wages, and renting the RVs, and renting what we what we have, it cost me $500 a day, just p- pure cost, to be at the yep. horse show. That's got nothing to do with the uh, the horse's shavings feed none of that, yes. that's just help. <clears throat> so so hidden if cost. I take six horses and I charge $100 a day, I made $100 profit, which is fuck all, but you know what I'm saying? So it cost me, people ask, how much does it cost to go to horse show? It's about 500 a day, that's outside of entry fees, mileage, all that stuff, yes. H-
1: hidden cost. Yeah.
0: yeah, so back in those days, how was the billing set up? Were, were people being professional about how they build? You build for mileage, you build for show fees. Like, how did some of that work back in those days?
1: I don't remember just how much but, that we would charge, but uh, yes, we would charge mileage. Yep. And then, mileage to take a horse to a horse. Right. Show. When we yep. first started out, we would just keep track of all of our expenses, then divide the expenses up yes. instead of having a set fee. Yes. And then eventually that changed. Yes. And, uh, but we, uh, we would go with, uh, to the big shows, we'd go with 25 or 30 horses. Yeah, and you gotta have a lot of staff. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: yeah. and so where's everybody staying? Hotels, campers back in those we days? Had a,
1: we had a motor home and that's where uh, my wife and I stayed and then, but the help would stay in hotels. Yeah, and just drive back and forth. Yes. Okay. Yep. So business is good.
0: It's doing well. Um, you know, it, you know. Tell me how you're doing here. You, you're traveling all over the country, or you're staying in your little area. You going to the Kong? Are you, are you going to the AQHA World Show by this point?
1: At this time, uh, we would. Uh, it was so cold in Illinois. Yeah. Uh, we would go to Florida uh, right before Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. and uh, they had circuits there at the Florida State Fairgrounds. AQHA circuits. West- yes. West, at West Palm Beach. And so we would go there and stay from um, until like mid-January. And then we would leave there and go to Scottsdale, Arizona. And then we'd go to Las Vegas. and
0: uh, So did you have to just take your entire training bond with you?
1: Well, at this time we had we consolidated our, our horses that we're going to take on this trip and send the rest of them home.
0: So who takes care of them at home when you're gone for four months? Who's looking after? We sent them, at them home? back
1: to the owners. Oh, you sent them back to the owners. The ones that wouldn't go, that were not going to the show. Right.
0: Today. Okay. But that's what I'm trying to get at. You didn't yes. have a second string that is still in training right. with an assistant, because no. I'm, I'm going to say that's a lot of fucking responsibility to to leave for four months and hope somebody's going to keep your shit together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. No. yeah. And then whenever we would get home, you know, back like mid March, mm. late March. Then we'd call the owners, and they'd bring the horses
0: back. Okay, so that's how you got around the winter time. Yes. Was it hard back in those days, Tommy, to get good help? Did kids want to do this? Uh, um, the reason I ask is this: you know, our, our our late great friend Doug Carpenter, he said to me, he said, and we'll get to him in your stage of your life later, but he said to me, when I went to work for, when I tried to get a job with Tommy Mannion, he said there was a two-year waiting list. He said, Tommy was that popular and was the man in the quarter horse world. You couldn't just walk up and get a job. Like you had to wait till somebody left. And he said, there was a two year waiting list to get into him. And I said, that's kind of unheard of now because you know trainers now will take any fucking warm body. You know They're just so desperate for help and, and most kids have not wanted to do it. And, and Doug looked at me and he said, you got to remember Clinton back in those days when you were a kid, being a horse trainer was cool it was cool to be a horse trainer it was something that kids looked up to so he said yeah there was a lot of kids that wanted to be horse trainers and you know before he passed away we we always would comment that a lot of that coolness has left the horse industry we kids see it now as too much work and it's not enough money and it's not cool well i see a little change going on right now um, between Everything that's happening with the performance horse industry in the last four years, horse prices have pretty much doubled, almost tripled. You've got Taylor Sheridan with Yellowstone, Run for a Million, The American, Teton Ranch, etc. There's a lot of publicized stuff. And I see a trend now of a lot of young people wanting to get to be horse trainers again. You know, when I was watching the American being broadcast, I had a tour that weekend, so I had to watch it on the live stream. I got a little sad and I thought to myself, man, it would be, if Doug was here today, he would say, how cool is this? Mm -hmm. Horse trainers are cool again. Horse trainers are getting broadcast to the whole world on major television networks. And if you're a 10 year old little kid, you're like, fuck, this is cool. And I see a trend now of young people getting back into the horse industry, wanting to be trainers, wanting to be, wanting to do it. So that's what I see. I don't know if you guys see that. Kyle, have you got any opinion on that?
3: I agree. I, I think the whole Western way of life is becoming cool again.
0: Very people. much so.
3: Yellowstone's doing
0: that,
1: believe it or not. It is. I think was the starting point.
0: Yes. Yeah, four years ago, Yellowstone's changing that. People want to be a cowboy, people want to have a mini ranch, you know. Yep. You can make fun of if you want, but it's bringing people here which is spending a shit ton of money. But getting back to the que- original question, was it hard for you to find help? When you're going on the road with 25, 30 horses, you got to have a small army to take care of these horses. Back in those days, was there plenty of kids like you were a kid
1: wanting to learn? There were a lot of people wanting to learn. Mm-hmm. Um but the caliber uh, of a employee that was yeah. hard to find. Okay, so still even but, back in those days it was hard to get kids to give a shit. Yes. Because. Okay. Well, either that or they didn't have a natural skills. Yes,
0: they, 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 they were, right. you had to teach them everything. Right. So did you have to take time out of your day to try and train these kids to teach them what to do? Did you set up time saying, okay, I gotta get my help better. I'm gonna spend an hour a day, once a day, just trying to get my help to the next we level. We would
1: learn as, we, go, as okay. we went. right. And so, um, I remember John Dean, you, you probably yeah. don't remember. Um, he, uh, it, this was after we moved to Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, he called one day and he was from Indiana and he said he was looking for a job. I said, well, I just don't need anyone right now. And he said, no, I really want a job. And I said, well, we just don't need anyone right now. And he said... No, I want a job. I want to come and work for nothing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, okay. So, come and, on and, down. He, and he came and um, within a, a month, then he <coughs> was an employee. I mean, he, he was.
0: So, so that, that's a good lesson. And young people, listen the fuck up right now. Okay, this is a big deal. Okay. First two years of my apprentice, Tommy, I worked for free. Mm-hmm. From fifteen to seventeen, he never paid me a cent. Now he really paid me millions. He gave me a place to live, a little shitty fifth wheel caravan, food on the table. I ate with their family, and I worked seven days a week, fourteen hours a day. But I was the happiest kid in the world because I was getting taught. Yep. I was getting experience. I was starting colts. I was dealing with problem horses. And you might say, why did I not get paid? Because Gordon didn't have any money. Mm -hmm. So if I would have walked up to him and said, hey, you need to fucking pay me to learn. I'm so passionate, I'm gonna be the next greatest thing in the world, pay me to learn. He would have said, go fuck yourself, Mm -hmm. leave. But because I walked up, hat in hand, and said, I know I'm a warm body, I don't have a lot of skill set, if none, I'll work for free. He took me on. Look at what just happened. You told this kid he didn't have a job. You closed the door. This kid kept pushing and said, I'll work for free. You opened a door. Once he was there a month, you put him on payroll. Is that correct? Right. Because he must have impressed you. What did he do when he showed up? What did he do that made you say, okay, this son of a bitch is on payroll now?
1: Well, his desire was obvious. Yes. And uh, then he had more talent than I thought he might have, because I didn't know him. Yeah, he's he on the me. phone, yeah. And so then after he came and rode for a month, well, you know, the, and and his desire. He fit, Even if he didn't he have the, the skill
0: set, Tommy, that he might have had, just the desire must have impressed you. There would have been a place for him. There would have been a place for the, him on the team. That's what I'm trying to get yeah. out here with young people listening to this. Don't fucking take no. Mm-hmm. Sacrifice. Go work for free. Work weekends. Show this, if you're trying to get with the best guy, and I'm not saying it has to be the horse industry, it could be be building engines, race cars. I don't give a shit what industry you want to get into. Find the best guy and go offer to work for free. Find the best guy and say, I'll sweep the floor. Find the best guy to say, I'll do the shittiest job you'll give me if you'll just give me a chance to be in your camp. And if you'll fucking do that and you'll work and you'll prove your worth, you will get a shot. You'll get a shot. You'll get a shot, and you have gotta keep proving it now. It doesn't stop, and you'll keep getting better shots, and better shots, and better shots. But these entitled little pricks now, Tommy, just walk up and say, you need to be paying me a hundred grand to start training that horses. They have a sense of entitlement. They have a, such a fucking delusional sense of entitlement. It's <clears> fucking <throat> crazy. They, don't, they wonder how you get to the top. You start at the bottom. That's how you get to the top. So so I can relate to this. Now, Now, even though he paid me nothing, he really did. He gave me board, he gave me a roof over my head, he gave me food, knowledge. he gave me knowledge. Yep. All, all jokes aside, I make millions every year from what he taught me when I was 15 to 17. Sure. You know, one of the employees that was there when I was there, he had another paid employee there. And uh, this guy, i never forget this, He's doing something with a cult and he's doing something fucking stupid. And Gordon, Gordon walks down there and rips this guy in you asshole. Because Gordon was a hell of a horseman, but he did have a bit of a temper on him. Not with horses, but with people. He, he didn't tolerate. Yeah. And fucking who was this? Gordon, Gordon McKinley, his name yeah. was. So all of my skills came from Gordon McKinley, taught me all of my cult starting, problem solving, groundwork, general horsemanship skill set with difficult horses. Yeah. And then Ian Francis won the of fraternity five times in Australia, the cutting fraternity three times. He taught me more of the skills towards the show horses, getting them broke, soft, supple. So Gordon had a a hell of a temper on him, not with animals, but with people. He didn't tolerate stupid people or fucking laziness. So this, I don't remember what he was doing, but I was down at the stockyards, and this guy, he's probably 25 years old, or no, he might have been 21, 22. And Gordon comes down there and rips him a new arsehole for doing something stupid with this horse. And, And when Gordon, and I watched him getting his arsehole ripped, so when Gordon walked off, this guy starts bitching to me. I can't believe oh. he fucking talked to me like that and I can't believe he said that and fuck him and fuck this. And, uh, and, I, and for, I don't remember how I did this at my age. I was probably, well this is even before I went to work for him full time so I would have been somewhere around 14 or 15. I, went to, I met him when I was 13. He invited me to come on school holidays to intern with him, just like people invited you. So from 13 to 15 I'd go down to his place during school holidays, take a Greyhound bus, drive for two days on a Greyhound bus mm-hmm. by myself and go down and walk with him for three or four weeks and then come back home and do it again every two months. Okay? And for whatever reason, I said to this guy, I don't know why it popped in my head. I said, is he paying you to be here? Yeah, I'm just naive, I'm just a kid. Yeah. And that guy says, well, yeah, of course he's paying me. Why? Hey, I wouldn't fucking be here if he's not paying me. And I didn't say it because at this stage I had a fucking filter. But I looked at this guy and I thought to myself, you are the luckiest son of a bitch I've ever known. How the fuck did you figure out how to get paid to train horses all day here? I would thought I was the luckiest kid to do it for free. Mm-hmm. You're the asshole that's getting paid and you're bitching about it. That was my attitude. Does that make sense? Yeah. So when I, went, I, when I said, take me out of high school, I'll do it for free. I just want to come learn. I was just hopeful he'd say yes. You, does that make sense? It's, I was the luckiest kid in the world. But look now, the kind of money I made from that, Tommy. You, you get what I'm saying? And people don't understand, you've got to put yourself out there, especially to the best guys in the industry, whether it's dog training, race cars, motorbikes, fishing. Go, put yourself out there. This, you told this guy there's no opening for you, but he kept pushing, didn't He yep. kept pushing. Kept pushing and and then you found an opening for it. You know, I just, I think that's a great fucking lesson that people just miss. They don't understand how you get to the top. It's from starting at the fucking bottom and you work your way up. They don't get how you get to the top. That's a perfect example right there that this kid would not take your no for an answer. You told him no twice, but he kept pushing. And when he said free, your fucking ears perked up, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. Wish anybody's well, will. Yeah, yes. You
1: well, get what I th- th- let, let me think about it. You
0: get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, no, there's right. nothing wrong with that. You perked up because yeah. if he's free, what do you got to lose, Tommy? No. Nothing. No. He was willing to put skin in the game. So so I don't know how we got on this Kyle. We've fucking got confused now. <laughs> Fuck it. Um, I asked you about help. About there was some good help and there was some bad help, and how you how your help got better. And you basically just said you taught them on the road. You taught them as you went.
1: We had a wonderful, wonderful team over the years. Mm -hmm. Um, We had just, and we we operated from the theory of, you know, there's no I in team. Yep. And um, so when I succeeded, we all succeeded you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, we were just Really blessed mm-hmm. and uh, were
0: you pretty good about cutting cancer out like if you got a turd in the punch bowl You got a kid or somebody that wasn't a good fit or didn't have the team mentality Were you pretty quick to cut them out or you tried to try you tried had, to um he, convert he had,
1: them? He had to leave had to leave uh, yeah. it, and it just depended on what the issue was.
0: well I, I get you what know? you're saying, but I'm saying is you didn't have a lot of I'm asking Did you have a lot of tolerance to try to fix people or I'm gonna know?
1: give you a perfect example? Yeah. Um, about we had a man that cleaned stalls, and um, I found out that he was selling feed mm-hmm. out the back door. Yeah. Other than that, he was a great employee. So, and his name was Howard Johnson, mm-hmm. like the hotel. Yeah. You know? yeah. So I, I told him that I knew what he was doing, and um, I'd give him another chance. I don't, don't ever do that again. And he never did, and he was just the greatest employee. Yeah, But depends on yeah. what you're working with. Yeah, that's you right, know? yeah. And so, um, but if someone just didn't, uh, internally didn't have it, they, they had. What were
0: some of your big no-no's as far as, you know, things that drove you nuts with young kids wanting to learn, you know? Was laziness. Laziness, that was one of your big pet peeves? Absolutely. Yeah, what were some of your biggest pet peeves that you just couldn't well, fucking see? you know,
1: we had, a, we had a policy, uh, we worked uh we only worked a half a day uh, at the barn yeah from eight in the morning till eight at night <laughs> I love you know? it. yeah and so um, mm. if they didn't have that enthusiasm and desire then that was the first thing that would cut them out work okay. ethic yeah. yeah yeah
0: they'd would most of them quit the pea-hearted ones you didn't have to fire them. most of them just quit that's right yeah
1: yep. yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So you had to have a bit of a revolving but, door mentality. To yeah, keep,
1: but keep... but we really kept the enthusiasm. Up, this was a team. Yeah. Endeavor here, and when one did well, we all did well.
0: Give me some and, examples how you all did well. What would you do for them to make the team feel welcome? Or if if you won, you said everybody won. What would you do? Can you give any examples on that?
1: The most clear example is I had a, there was a boy that, uh, an African-American boy Mm -hmm. that worked for us in Springfield. He'd never been out of town. Uh, He was like 18, 19 years old. And um, so as I stated earlier, we went to Florida in the winter. So uh, I took him. And uh, his job was clean stalls and feed and clean tack and blah, blah, blah. And, um, so at the end of one of those circuits, we, we, we had uh, some success at that circuit, so I wanted to reward him. So um, he and I got on an airplane, went to the Bahamas mm-hmm. from uh, West Palm Beach. Yeah. And not only had he never been out of town, he'd certainly never been on an airplane. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know. yeah. So, but he, he played music. Uh, he was really, really music-minded. Yep. Played a guitar. Anyway, so we go to um, one of the resorts there, and and there was a casino right next door, and so (coughs) we were going to be in the Bahamas all day and then fly back that night. So um, I told him, I said, his name was Butch. I said, Butch, I'll meet you here at, at the pool area at noon. We got there like, eight in the morning. Yeah. I said, okay. So I get back at noon and he hollers at me and he's got a a hat on that is this wide (laughs) right now. A (laughs) A cowboy hat. No. No, just uh, a a, 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 uh, a straw hat. uh, 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 What do you call them? The kind of hats, the straw hats. Yeah. Anyway, and he's standing there with the band that had been playing you know, yeah. around the pool, they'd taken a break, and the next thing I know, so he introduces me to the band, and pretty soon the break is over, he goes back up, and he's on the sta- bandstand with him. I love it. Playing, <clears throat> he had never been out of town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, We had a great time.
0: Well, but, I, I know you developed a good culture, and here's how I know that. I've spoke to a lot of people over the years that have worked for you, and they have nothing but good things to say about uh, you. You know, you know, uh, they you you did foster that because they've said a lot. Now, again, you can't turn, you know, chicken shit and turkey fried chicken. Mm-hmm. But you've, you've there's a certain amount of kids that just were p-hearted and left. And there was a certain amount of kids that I'm sure you just had to fire and went down the road, too. And they probably wouldn't think highly of you, but they're, they're not going to think highly of anybody. Yeah. Does that make yeah. sense? But yeah. the, the people that stayed with you long term, they'll fucking take a bullet for you, Tommy. You know what yeah. I mean? they they take a bullet for you of what you showed them, what you taught them, what you fostered in them.
1: They, you know, we just had some wonderful, wonderful employees and um, um, I, I, it, it just takes a team. Yeah. you know, yeah. As you well know. And you've got to go through some numbers to get it. Absolutely. So let's
0: move forward a little bit. Your horse training business has taken off. You're showing all over the country. Tell me about the next big move from Illinois to Texas, because that's the second chapter of your life. What year is this that you decide to move? And more than anything, I want to know why you wanted to move. Okay.
1: We were uh, in Springfield, Illinois, for 13 years okay. at Fairgrounds.
0: And now is Kyle born by this stage? you got several kids. What's going you on born
1: here? Born in 75. Right? Okay, so Kyle and I yeah. are the same age. does right? <laughs> so a little anyway, memory. Yeah. yeah.
0: Good job, um, old man, yeah. River, you're fucking doing great. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> get it
1: right. <laughs> um, and he was showing by then. Yeah. He, he won the Congress when he was like, what, seven?
3: And the all-round type stuff? Um, the leisure? So, yeah, in the, in the walk, trot. Um, I was uh, eight, and then I think maybe nine.
1: He won it went two years around, and then, then they passed a rule that if you once you won it, you can't compete again. It's uh, okay. so. only two times, to- yeah. and I,
3: I retired a champion. Probably like <laughs> the last pleasure horse I ever rode. That's funny.
0: So tell me but, how 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 did you make the move from there to Texas, and what motivated that? Because that's a big move, okay. and I, that's, that's a key so part of this story.
1: We uh, <clears throat> we were fortunate enough to raise a stud um, that we thought had uh, really a great future mm-hmm. uh, ahead of him, and he was by impressive. Hall to blood. horses, yes. And so it was one of these, he was a yearling, and um, we went to Florida, as I said, mm-hmm. took our horse went to Florida, and we left him home with a good friend of mine. He didn't do anything wrong. Anyway, uh, he turned him out in a lot. Uh, and, horse, he slipped and fell on ice and broke his knee. Mm. And uh, he, he didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, I understand. Shit happens. I would have done the same thing. Anyway, so we uh, take him to the University of Illinois, and they put a cast on him. Make a long story short, he uh, healed back, and that leg was stiff. Mm. Uh, he couldn't bend his knees, so naturally he never had a show yeah. career. Yeah. But he... Um, when he got to be three, um, word he had uh, no advertising behind him because we couldn't show him, but word of mouth, he was such a great horse, word of mouth, travel so a friend of mine, Charlie Dobbs, um, he lived out in the country and he said, hey, let me take, that horse." name was pretty impressive, he said, let me take him out there and, and maybe we'll breed a few mares. I said, okay. He took him out there and he bred 144 mares. Of his own or customers? Customers, I mean. He, he and he didn't have a facility. He had mares tied to trees, the fence. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little redneck. Yeah, a little redneck. But that horse was just such a great horse that he was the talk of the industry and had never been out of the barn.
0: So he was never even ridden. No, no. You never even got a chance to start him. No,
1: no. But he was such a he, his physique. Yes, his c- he his was confirmation of like America. Yeah. So. We thought, aha, maybe this is our entree out of here. Mm-hmm. It was so cold. And you, I, that's what I'm getting
0: at. You had, a, you had a little bit of enough of spring. It
1: was a good enough. chapter.
0: We, it did good for we, you, but you went the fuck out of there. Am 13, I getting this right? We had 13
1: yeah. years. and and So anyway, mm-hmm. um, and naturally you couldn't stand a stud on the fairgrounds. Yes, yes. And so we had two friends here in North Texas, yeah. Dave Page and, and uh, Chip Nose. Mm-hmm. They said, well, why don't you come down and look in our area? And we did, and uh, then we bought the place where we are now. Yep, uh, 377. There yep. wasn't a tree on it, not a fence. In fact, it was a fish farm. And what we did is we filled all the tanks in, except the ones that we wanted to keep for water. Yeah. And so then that horse was our entree into out of Illinois.
0: Okay. So you were wanting to get out of Illinois because of the weather. Uh, did you see a trend that the next big trend was moving to Texas? Was there any financial or mainly just weather? And, and uh, just,
1: just weather. For us, it was just, uh, we. it's got to be better than this in yes. Illinois, you know? Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and yeah. so, and he was our entree uh, out, of, out okay. of there. Righto.
0: So are his colts riding by this stage? Like you think you got a sire on your hands?
1: So he's, uh, by now, by the time we make the move, he's four. Mm-hmm. And um, every year uh, we had to do surgery on him because from lack of exercise, the tendon on his damaged leg would contract, Uh, and he would be walking around on his tiptoe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we had a friend that was a specialist from Scottsdale, Arizona, and he would fly back and do surgery Mm. on him on that tendon. So before then, we always took him to the University of Illinois, but so then we took him to Texas A&M. This is when he was probably five. Mm -hmm. And so he flew back, did the surgery, Mm. We were there, um, and uh, the he wanted to put a cat a, a brace yeah. on on his leg, and the head vet down there I can't even tell you whose name was uh, said I never put a, a brace on a horse. He said I do a lot of these surgeries. I I never put a brace on him. <clears throat> well, when he got up from the surgery, instead of him being up on his tiptoes. He's the other way. It was the opposite, and that front foot just flew up because he didn't have any support here. Mm. Now they laid him back down, put a brace on him, and what we didn't know is, and actually we left him there, what we didn't know is that he had pulled a blood vessel in two, and within about two weeks, all the skin came off of his Mm. leg. Mm. Make a long story short, we, uh, we had him insured, and we had to put him down. Okay. And now what we have is we're faced with, we were building our facility. So it's taking some money. We're building a facility, and the horse that we Banking that brought your us future. there, that was gonna pay for this, we, we no longer have him. Okay.
0: So so back right at this stage, are you still tr- doing the AQHA showing? Are you still showing, or you're just trying to be a to breeder a, at this? To time? a <clears>
1: small <throat> degree.
0: So you left a lot of your customers
1: back in Illinois? Some came with us, okay. but but I'm just trying to get the, I'm trying to figure uh, out how you're eating. We were transitioning in, into uh, breeding, and as opposed to the, the training, the training. And
0: is that because you just were smart enough to realize there was more we, money in the breeding? You just, you just, you, I, I suspect. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you figured out that your income doing the horse training deal was capped. You could only train so many horses, only go to so many horse shows, and you could only so much make so much money. Is that right or wrong? And
1: there was that's right, and there was more emphasis on on the breeding aspect by now. Right. Okay. So, and and for the big name studs. Yes. So, now the horse that's going to pay for all of this land and all this building we're doing is gone. Mm. The fickle finger of fate, right? Mm-hmm. Along comes Smartolina. Yeah. Now, the man that owned Smart Little Lena, Haynes Chatham, I don't know if you ever knew him.
0: No, I know his name, but okay. I don't know.
1: Back in Illinois, he called at, and at that time, he when he called, he was like 19 or 20 years old and he was looking for a reigning horse and I told him I had a nice mare. They flew back there, his parents flew him back there. Uh, Haynes Underwear. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, he's his, a descendant of that. That's Haynes okay. Chatham, yeah. Okay. So, they buy the horse, buy the mare, he shows it that year and he's the world champion on that I never see or talk to him again mm-hmm. after that because he lived in North Carolina. Okay. All of a sudden I'm sitting there in the office one day and I'm reading the paper, our little three page paper, and it says local man does well the cutting horse fraternity, smart little Lena, Haynes Chatham. I said, that's got to be the same guy. Yeah. So I sent him a plant, a congratulatory yeah. plant. The next day, He shows up, and so we hash over old times, and he said, uh, "And that that was in 1982." So Smartly needed showed at the Futurity. It just won the Futurity, and that was 1982. And Bill Freeman showed him. Bill Freeman
0: showed him. Okay. So, so were you following the cutting circles back in this no, day? No, you he, were still all he, round pleasure Lina, horse. Yes, Smart Lena
1: was our entree into the cutting. Right. So, okay, but
0: that's what I'm trying to get at. You weren't following it. You weren't trying to branch no. into cutting horses. You had to, you had to have a plan B no. after that horse died, <clears throat> etc. So, so out of necessity. Now, how did this guy get Smart Lena? Dumb luck. He planned it.
1: It was. He it was, raised him. He raised him. He bought a mare and and bred her. And so anyway, he had just won the Futuri in December of 1982. Mm-hmm. Now we're talking in January next month. And he said, you know, would you be interested in standing him? Mm. Yeah. "Yeah." And so he said, and he and Bill Freeman were partners. Mm-hmm. He said, let me have Bill come over. He called, Bill came over the next day. We had a 30 minute meeting. You didn't know Bill either by this time. I, ne- I never, never met, met him. him right. And so we had a 30 minute meeting and um uh, they showed little lena like two or three more times and retired him and he's he was only shown a, he was only shown a total of eight times in his That's life your, yeah and so uh, but but we started breeding him in february yeah. and then after they retired him of course he never left our place and he we had to put him down when he was 32 yeah but uh so he was our entree into the cutting, and um, then during this process, um, I uh, told my wife, I said, you know, I think maybe we'll like to buy a cutter, maybe we I yeah. think <laughs> i would like to start selling, and so we bought a horse, gilding, and once I experienced the riding of a cutting horse, everything else was boring. Yes. And so I said, and uh, I don't mean this like if this is not going to come out right, but it's a different kind of people. Yes. The audience was a different kind of audience. Yes. And so, you know, you go to horse shows, you don't lock your tack room. Yeah. You know, that wasn't the way. Yeah, Cowboys. And so um, I spent a lot of time with Bill Freeman, and he was the best. Yep. And there again, Fickle finger of fate, I, every time I turned around, there was something there, someone there to help me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we just went from losing horses going to pay for our place into standing the best horse that yeah. cutting horse ever known in yeah. the, the industry.
0: Was the hype around Smart Little Leaner after he won the futurity
1: pretty intense? Very intense. Yes. They, they syndicated him. Uh, when
0: did that happen? Were you part of that?
1: No, I was not. They syndicated him. Uh, at the Futurity or after? At the Futurity. At the Futurity. And uh, uh, 80 shares. Mm-hmm. And um, the price of the shares was 7500 Okay. And so, and they had trouble selling. Oh, truly. Yeah. They, um, they released, I think, 20 shares during the Futurity. Yeah. And then when he won the Super Stakes, they released 20 more. Yeah. And then after he won the Derby, he he was the first horse to ever win the Triple Crown. Uh, Yes, that's right. After he won the Triple Crown, they sold the rest of the shares, and by then they were 75,000. He went from 7,500 to 75,000 in about four months.
0: So did you get to buy any of those shares? Because you would have met the horse and Bill, between the Futurity and the Derby, yes. Super Stakes, st- st- okay. Yes. So did you get it, was there any still available for you to buy or did yes, you buy what, into it?
1: What, what was happening is some of the people that had bought in at 7,500, yeah. well they had a chance to double their money and they would sell out. Ah. So we bought some of those, a couple of those shares. Yes, okay. And so um, that uh, that was really our entree into the cutting, horse wise and people wise. Yeah. Bill Freeman was the best, mm-hmm. and the horse was the, the best, best, you know. Yep.
0: So you did you quickly then transition out of the pleasure horses all around world? That that whole customer base from Illinois pretty much ended quickly at this point?
2: Yes. Clinton's grabbing a cocktail and we'll be right back. Get yourself one and enjoy this short clip.
1: Nothing would please them more than to see this old piece of shit in a car.
3: They a steel knife down a stupid
0: fucking throat and they talk about it quite often. Righto, another hate mail here. This is from S-A-V-N-H-E-Q. I just want to know for one day what goes through your tiny little brain. Well, now what goes through my brain every day is just waking up and having fun. That's what happens when you retire at 43 with millions. You don't have to think about much. You just have to have fun. I'll be there to pick you up at social security bitch at 65. Have a wonderful day. So Tommy, we're back after the break. So basically, you know, define fate, you and smart little Lena get together. Okay, he, you know, you're selling all the shares. They're all sold within six months of him winning the futurity. You start breeding a bunch of mares from January or February through June, you're in the breeding business, correct?
1: Yeah, well, According to the rules of the syndicate, he could only breed 80 mares. Oh, truly. Plus 10 for expenses. Yes. So uh, the opposite of what it is now, now you want to breed as many mares as you can. Back then, they they just syndicated him for 80 shares plus 10 for expenses. And um, so... So was your facility already built by this point? Was it half built
0: like, is it a shit show? You've got mayors tied up the trees? You know, back in these days, you know what I'm trying to yeah, say? That. Where are you at this, you no. know?
1: By now, we had built everything, and you, you had asked me earlier about the halter deal. Did we leave that in Springfield? Yeah. By then, we had, three of us had bought Impressive. Oh, okay, I did not so, know you owned that horse. So we brought him with us. Mm-hmm. So we're still in the halter horse business, business. there. Uh, and then along comes little Lena. So then well, we say, well, our facility was built. we got 138 stalls, stud, uh, breeding barn, stud barn, et cetera, et cetera. So we want to get a few more studs. So, um, we bought uh highbrow hickory who is mm-hmm. the sire of, uh, uh,
3: highbrow cat. Highbrow cat.
1: Yep. And so, th- and then we had highbrow cat there. So at that point, by now we had, we were fully into the breeding business and- Got out of the training business. Got out of the training business. And um, the only horses that we had in training were our own personal horses. By now we're cutting. Okay. And um, we've got like five studs. Mm -hmm. And uh, there again- Are you and your wife
0: pretty hands-on at this stage of the business? You guys are doing a lot of the breeding. You're doing a lot of the management. You're pretty hands-on.
1: Total. Yes. Totally. We had 14 employees, and uh, naturally they had the vet. Yeah. And um, uh, so my wife, of course, ran the office, and um, then and we got this guy, he's yeah. coming along by that time, mm-hmm. and uh, he's, um, he and I are showing. Yep, cutters. Cutters. Mm-hmm.
0: So when you're trying to learn a whole new sport, were you buying horses initially that were trained to try to teach you what to do? Were you trying to train your own cutting horses? How did, how, would, how did you do it? And then tell me the best advice for somebody wanting to get into cutting to learn it. So how'd you do it?
1: What we did is we, we bought a fully trained horse. That yep. was our first horse. Um, a fully trained horse and I think our first three or four were fully trained when we bought them. And then we, by then we had a few broodmares of our own. Yep and then we started raising them. And um, so... Um,
0: was it a big change for you to go from the pleasure world, horsemanship world, reigning world, to now put your fucking hand down and, and you know, let them work a cow? Was that a big change for you? Did you we, struggle with it?
1: I wouldn't say struggle, it, it was, um, I was just inspired yeah. by it, it was a, a new uh, mountain to climb. Yeah.
0: New challenge. And
1: yeah. And we surrounded ourselves with good people. Yep. Bill Freeman. And yep. then all the other people that were our friends. Yep. Offered help. And so, um, uh, that's, and then, by then Kyle was showing. And so we really, really, really had, uh, a, a great time. Yeah. And, um,
0: Going you know, down the road as a family without having customers. Right. So you're going down the road showing cutters as a family. You're not trying to go down the road with cutters as a customers. It, right.
1: Right. And <clears throat> our fam, my family was with me at the office. Yeah. The office every day. Yeah. You know how many people can say that? Yeah. That they could take their kids to the office every day. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And so uh, he, um, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and were you on the road quite a bit showing cutters yeah i would say so
0: yeah. yeah took a motor home how'd you get the horses around what'd you Had have a motor home and a bumper pull trailer behind it or you tried a separate truck and trailer to talk the horses four what? Horse, tra- horse trailer four horse trailer in a bumper pull behind the
1: motor home. yes yep yes and um but uh kyle really really came into his own i'm not saying this because he's yep. just sitting there yep. but <laughs> he was uh Uh, Tremendously talented. Mm -hmm. And um, he-
0: he, uh, So he's showing in the youth divisions? Is he showing in the youth divisions?
3: So Like I I had, you know, showed pleasure horses just for a Mm. little while and showed at the Congress Mm. and a few other little places, but it just, it didn't hold me. Yeah, it didn't keep you busy. Not at all. And you you remember riding your first cutter? Absolutely. And uh, how'd that do? So, you know, I, I always loved the horses, mm. um, loved being around them. Mm. I enjoyed riding, but I, I didn't want to ride pleasure. Yeah. Like, I mean, if I got yeah. on one and rode out in the pasture yeah. and ran through the pond, I mean, yeah. like, that was awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, I... I kinda...
0: But you were, uh, you were young enough to do the youth cutting. Yes. Yeah, that, so, that division.
3: So whenever we kind of made the change, we were getting into the cutting in the beginning... Mm. Um, I, I cut a cow one day and, and I told that, I said, I'll, I'll do this. Yeah, yeah. This uh, I will do.
0: <laughs> so um, was there any particular skill set that you can distinctly remember from the pleasure days and the horsemanship days and the all round Western ride and reining did you think that gave you any advantage coming to a new industry or any disadvantage? Did you, did you take any of that skill set with you or you, because the reason I'm asking is that I've often noticed when you go from one horse industry to another horse industry, you'll see things that they're not doing, that this other industry's doing. Some of it positive and some of it negative. So obviously if you can take anything positive from another industry and move it over here, you stand out, does that make sense? You know, um, whether it be feeding horses, grooming them, taking care of them, uh, the way that you haul them, whatever. <laughs> every industry has their set of um, uh, standard of, of care and ca- conduct, you know what I mean? And so did you notice anything positive or negative coming from that background of yours? Did you bring any of that skill set to, to the cutting world? Yes. And if so, what was it? What yes, did you
1: notice? Um, back then it was not, uh, looked upon as an advantage to have your horse soft and supple in that bridle Mm -hmm. when you pick up on him, you want him to get behind that bridle. And so that's what we had always done. Yes. So then whenever we started cutting and we got our, we worked on getting our cutters more and more supple. Uh, it, again it kept them in a receptive frame of mind they weren't fighting with us mm. you pick up on them and they say okay yep. and so that was and, and i'm not i'm not saying that we started that trend no. but i'm saying that the cutting the, the trend started to take off started people to, to get, get broker the softer they are the better okay that's right so
0: yeah because historically cutting horses have been pretty heavy heavy in the face yes. stiff et cetera. Uh, did you see any negative to getting them broke in the face and broke through the body? Did it did it hinder the cutting at all, that you know of?
1: Not. Th- th- there's never a time that being better broke isn't an advantage. Okay. And so we we brought that mindset ourselves yep. with us, and and so uh, it, it just. Um,
0: so even just warming, just even asset. just warming those cutters up, bending them, softening them, Absolutely. suppling them, yep. moving their body parts around, et cetera. What do you think, Kyle?
3: I, I totally agree.
0: Because and before that was everybody just trotting a big fucking circle. You know what I mean? What was going yeah, on? and they and pick
1: up on their horses. <coughs> horse turn their head upside down. Yeah, you know, and yeah. I even think that more so now,
3: whenever you've got the the cow horse industry and the cutting industry kind of crossing paths, you've seen a lot of our guys, oh, yeah. you know, start you know, showing in the cow horse events, and it's kind of funny because I've heard them say, like, we always thought our horses were broke. Yeah. They're like, oh, so and so's horses are broke, my horses are broke, you know, we get ours broke, and then they started doing that, and they're like, our horses really aren't that broke. Yeah, I always, so. I
0: always laugh, you know, people don't like, you know, I get criticized a lot for how broke my horses are, soft, supple, And I come from a reigning background, okay? Mm. So I get beat up a lot. And and I've had to really work on this, and 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 a lot of it is at least 50% of it is is fair criticism that my horses look too reinerish on a cow. You know, their heads are down too much, they're not eye appeal, they're not cowy enough, etc. And that's all very fair criticism. And I've been working on that to try to not make my cow horses look like reiners. You know, they gotta look bright-eyed, up walking a cow, etc. So I've really had to try to find some middle ground there. You know, my horses, and as a general rule, are way too broken. Don't pay attention to the cow. Other people's horses are real cowy as fuck, but they're not broke. When you pull on the sun bitches, they root their nose out. You know, I always joke. You know, the, the cutters might say the horse doesn't need to be real broke. You wait till you have to go change leads on one. You wait till you have to go run, stop, change leads on one, speed control, and we'll see how long you get, how well you get along when they run through the bridle. When they're not honoring your hands and legs, and you have to go do a, a lead change, like the lead change now got to be like Western riding. It's not like the old days where you just threw them over left and threw them over right. Yeah, yeah. you know you can't do that shit anymore. They're, no. they're changing like Western riders, no. yeah. and and so so you you are
3: right. Everybody's learning from each other, which I think is cool as shit. I, I do too. Yes, I, I do too. You know there were times where we were kind of trying to say, guys, you know. Like I, this horse is feeling a little heavy to yeah. me, you know. And and granted, in the in the cutting, we're non-pros and sometimes yeah. non-pros need them to be a little heavier so that you don't over them. Yes. Yeah. Or, or or our non-pro opinion maybe isn't valid as valid. Yeah. yeah. So um, seeing how the two industries have crossed paths. Yes. And and like our guys saying, hey, we thought our horses were broke till we tried doing this. Yeah. And or we worked around these other guys. Yes. And we saw what they do and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I, I think both of those fields are uh, they've changed so much within the past few years it's unbelievable yeah yeah let's talk about that a little bit so you know the the, you know to wrap up smart little lena
0: it pretty much just went on as history you know he was the greatest sire for probably 10 or 15 years wouldn't you say smart little lena like i remember um you know when i uh, when i was in that area when i first got over in 1997 um you know, he was the man, that horse was the man. He was probably stayed the main horse until Highbrow Cat kind of took over, correct? Yeah. Wouldn't he have been the main <laughs> horse until Highbrow Cat? I remember breeding to Highbrow Cat, and maybe he was at your place, I don't know, when he had a $4,000 stud fee, so I don't know what year that would have been. I was one of the first rainers to ever breed to Highbrow Cat, and he had a $4,000 stud fee, then it went to 7,500, then it went to 15,000, then it went to two five. you know?
1: Yeah. I- we had him for six years, yep. and um, and I think that the changes in stud fees is right along the time that we had him. Yep. Um, when Jack first brought him to us, he'd only bred 12 mares the year before. Mm-hmm. And... Um,
0: Did anybody really know, like, let's let's talk truth here. From what I remember about that horse, he'd ever won a hell of a lot as a cutting horse himself, correct? Correct. Okay. So did anybody really know what that fucking thing was gonna do as a sire? Did it catch everybody by surprise? Like, obviously, Smart Little Lena won the fraternity. <clears throat> you know, you could see what this son of a bitch was gonna do. He set the world on fire. Highbrow Cat, from what I'm gathering, from his show career, didn't set the world on fire as, as a career and money won. Is that a right or wrong statement?
1: What he brought to the table originally, was he, was out, he was out of a Smart Little Lena mare. Okay. Smart Little Lena, was a, a great horse himself. Mm-hmm. He revolutionized the cutting. Yes, he time. did. Um, but his daughters really, really took off yep. as broodmares. And that was the greatest thing early on until High Highbrow Cat come along with his own merits uh that he was out of a smart little unit
0: but really where that horse set the world on fire was in his be- ability to produce correct correct yes yep. but what i'm getting at is <clears throat> back when he when you're first standing him and like you said he only bred 12 mares nobody thinks they got a gold mine here correct nobody's right. i'm not saying we're talking bad about the horse i'm just nope. saying we've got a horse that's going to stand he's unproven yep. we have we hope all the best yep but nobody's got a magic wand to know what the fucking thing this is gonna do, correct? Yeah. Okay, at what point did everybody figure out, or did you figure out, holy shit, we might have a real producer here, we might have a sire here. You're talking about Little Lena? Yeah, no, no, uh, Eyebrow Cat. Eyebrow
1: Cat. cat. I think um, maybe after his second crop,
3: yeah, he had some, uh, early on, like, he had a few good individuals out of a smaller yep. group of mares, and yeah. they made you notice them. Yeah. And it was like, wow, you know, he's an okay show horse, yep. and, and um, but man, look at these. Yeah. Uh, you know, few really outstanding ones. He was
0: out he, was out, he was outsiring himself. He was. No question. Yeah. Yes, no yeah, question. and I don't mean that in a disrespectful <laughs> way. No. You know, hey, that's no, what no. a is yeah. supposed to do. Yeah, he was you know. outsiring himself. So it took after the second foal crop. You guys said, "Okay, we might have a big time winner here." Yes. And smart little Lena's still on top of his game at this point too. Correct. Yes. So you got you got an up and coming sire that's catching quickly. Yes. And you got the main man there that was there. Okay. Yeah. And and um and pretty much you're just breeding. You, now, did you get out of the halter stud business by this point? We sold. Um,
1: uh, impressive. Mm-hmm. And um, that was the last halter horse that we had. Yeah. Last. Thing we had to do with any of the halter. Blues. Okay. Then we st- went strictly to cutting. Yep. We had um, uh, highbrow hickory, mm-hmm. which is uh, cat's yep. sire. Yep. And we had little Lena, and um, then along came smooth as a cat. hmm And so it, it, we were just so fortunate that every time we mm-hmm. every. We turned around, think good things were happening. Mm-hmm. It, it was just uh, amazing how we have been blessed, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I, I just can't say enough how appreciative we are. Yes. I am. Yes. And uh, to have a great family, and, mm-hmm. and Kyle is my best friend. Yep, yep. My son. Um, So what have you seen change then in the cutting industry?
0: So when did you move to Texas? What year would that be? 1980 something? 79. 79. So let's just say, shits and giggles, 80, okay? From 80 till now, what could you two, and, and pipe in here, Kyle, what can you say is some of the biggest changes you've seen in the cutting horse industry, whether it be in the type of horse that's being ridden, the way it's built, Confirmation to way they cut. Have you seen different cycles and things change since then?
3: I mean, I, I think so. Uh, I, I mean, it, it seems like the the sport itself is constantly improving. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm sure. Can a you lot think of, of that... some big mile markers? Can you think of some things in particular that
0: that changed? the sport, particular horses or particular styles of training that you can say, okay, everybody was looking to mark this until this horse came along and then everybody ran over here and tried
3: to copy this. So uh, um, I think little Lena changed that. He was a cow horse, he was flashy. He did things that horses weren't doing at that time. And then you go, you kind of rock on as time goes by and you'll see the cattle kind of starting to change. Mm -hmm. Um, In what way? They're they're more crossbreds, um, but how is that making them act? Little, they're wilder. Okay, faster. So, you, you know, used to you know you you'd cut cows that didn't go anywhere but like right here. Yeah. Well, as those, uh, as the the cows kind of changed, you had to change your training style, and you had to have horses that would run across that pen and go jump in that ground, right, and then crack back out of there. So. You, you, you can see. So did
0: they, do you think that changed the biggest stop on these cutting horses? Was that, was that when you had to start yeah. seeing these, no instead place. of being so up into a cow like this, they had to be able to stick their ass in they the did. ground like a rain or a cow horse. Is yeah. that is, I'm not putting words in your mouth, is that Absolutely. kind of what had to happen? Absolutely. So those horses that weren't big stoppers, they weren't gonna mark as well, correct? Absolutely. Because they're gonna run over the end, kick their ass out, face up. Where they didn't want to see that, is that right? Exactly.
1: That, that stop and, became more and more a necessity. Mm-hmm. If you're going to mark anything, right? And if, if, and like Kyle said, the cows are wilder, and you, if you didn't have a horse that could, you couldn't even hold them, if you can't, if you can't run and stop, yeah, you can't hold them. Much mm-hmm. less not mark a big score. Yeah. Yeah, so that's how. So
0: that was that was changed. Cattle changed, and a big <clears throat> stop. And anything else you can think of, the way the horses were confirmation-wise. Did they get bigger? Did they get smaller? Did they get stouter? Anything else you notice changing?
1: Stouter. I, I think. Yeah. I think to do what they have to do now. Um, you mean wider, or just stronger in general? Not, yeah, not necessarily wider, uh, but just a, a, a stronger built horse than we used to mm-hmm. look at. More well-balanced. More like well-balanced, exactly. Like more rounded top line, not so yes. much
0: with a high neck on it, yes. et cetera.
1: Exactly, yes. Yep, mm-hmm, yep.
0: What do you, What do you guys, what do you, so let's be honest, in the last four years, um, I've seen horse prices, at least in the cow-horse world and the reigning world, you know, pretty much double, to be honest with you, in the last four Absolutely. years, sometimes even triple. Um, you know horses. You know when I got here in 1997, you know Doug Carpenter, my mate, he he would buy all my horses, and we could buy really nice yearlings as a general rule between 25 and 50,000, up until about four years ago. Yep. I'm not saying you couldn't spend a lot more than that; you could have. Yep. But but you know Doug was always a smart buyer. He didn't have to have the most expensive horse; he wanted the best horse. That doesn't always mean the most expensive. Absolutely. So he was a very smart buyer, as you know. Um, but now that same horse for 50,000, I can't touch it under 100. Mm-hmm. I can't touch a good yield yeah. under 100 grand. But with the level of, uh, but I'm trying to buy for cow horses and reiners are even higher, cutters are even higher again, et cetera. What do you see, why do you see that the price has gone up so much? What's your gut reaction of why in the last four years everything's gone up tremendously in the Western performance age?
1: Earning potential.
0: Earning potential. Mm-hmm. So prize money? Prize
1: money, prize money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, You know, used to, I mean, um, you didn't win enough, you couldn't win enough to pay your expenses on a high-priced horse. Yes. And so, and now, you know, uh, with the prize money going up like it has been for the last three or four years. Yep. And Jay Winborn, uh, our executive director, has been very instrumental. That that guy's smart. He's smart. I we I joke with him all the time. I interviewed him to almost
0: work for my company one time and I didn't hire him. I fucking should have. <laughs> okay, we laugh yeah, about it today. We, he's kinda, a smart
3: son of bitch. We, we kind of yeah. got to know him um, whenever they moved the NRCHA office yeah. to pilot Point. Yeah. And he thinks outside
0: the box. He does. He thinks outside the box. Yes. He he's not a traditionalist and he's smart. Yes. Yes. So prize money's got a lot to do with it. What else do you think had anything to do with it? Do you think Taylor, the TV shows, Yellowstone, Run for a Million, All Teton? All the above. All the above. All the above, All yeah, the above? Yeah,
1: yeah. okay. I think that the Yellowstone created an atmosphere, let's, let's face it, but most everybody likes a horse. I yes. Mean, I don't care if you're a, a New Yorker. Yeah. You say, uh, ooh. Yeah, there's a the horse. It. And so, and I think that Yellowstone really magnified Yeah. That
0: made it cool again
1: yes i think
0: it did yes yeah made it cool again western way of life yeah yeah any potential negatives you see with the price of horses doubling what's what's you know to me there's always a yin and the yang you know for every positive there's always an equal negative what would you say it is is it knocking the little guy out of the business just what (laughs) what i was going to say
3: yeah i i would say it's it's regardless of the phase of the business i mean if if you look at barrel racing, yeah. you look at rope horses, yeah. you look at, I mean, the horse business in general across the yes. lines. Um, horses are costing more.
0: Yeah. E- uh, even, a, uh, even a turd, a reject reiner a nah. reject cutter now, they're still bringing 30000 mm-hmm, You don't yeah. get much horse for under 30000 or no. anything, you know, on any level. Would you agree or
1: disagree? i absolutely yeah. agree absolutely agree.
0: Well, it seems like it's only going to keep getting higher because of these rope horse faturities and, and, and the bower horse faturities and all that incentive money. I don't see it slowing down, do you?
1: We just paid, no, I don't. We just paid our, our horse uh, smooth as a cat mm-hmm. up in the uh, roping yep. faturity deal, yep. the incentive. And um, I, I just think that the, the earning potential that's out there now justifies, you know, asking those big prizes. Yeah. So the negative the, uh, sorry. What'd you say? The negative that mm-hmm. you just alluded to mm-hmm. is not everyone can play at that level. Yes. And but here again, I think Jay has really, really come along to help the grassroots yes. cutter, the mm-hmm. weekend cutter. Yep. And uh, uh he's done a wonderful job doing mm-hmm. that. And that's a tight rope to walk. Of course it is you know yeah
0: and especially in his job it's hard to keep everybody fucking happy you know that's just, and and, and yeah. really if you, and really you're not supposed to keep everybody happy cuz you know because you're slightly pissing everybody off at all times because if you don't cater to the open trainers they get butt hurt if you only cater to the fucking rookies and the non pros yeah. yeah. they don't get butt you know <clears throat> you get what I, it's a tough job his type of running an association oh like that yep. because you're trying to do be as fair as you can to all disciplines and as humans we're biased towards our niche the right. open trainers are going to be biased towards their pocketbook. The non-pros are going to be biased towards their pocketbook. It doesn't mean we're bad people. It just means we are yeah. fucking human. You know, yeah. you know what I mean? Really so true. it's a difficult job no matter who does it, but he does an exceptional job. But, so let me ask you this then. Where do you see the sport of cutting going in the next five, ten years? What, do you have any direction of where you think it's going to go? What, what's the next style change? What's the next in, um, niche?
3: Man, that's, that's a tough question. It's like every year you, you say, well, it's just getting tougher. It's mm. just getting tougher. Mm. And just before this past futurity, you know, going to the different pre-works mm-hmm. and, and you know, you're around different people yep. watching their horses. And there's a lot of young guys out there that yep. are like yep. talented, talented mm-hmm. guys and and showmen as well. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing, I mean, there were some guys that, you know, I didn't know very well, but, man, they were Their horses were really looking good, and and so that level, that that bar, it just seems to keep going, and 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 it's kind of funny because you think, well, how can it get better? Mm -hmm. And then you rock on a few years, and something changes. You say, man, I didn't think it could get better, and but you're just, it's it's. So so let me ask you this: across the board, I think that there's there's a lot of talent out
0: there. Yeah. Let me ask you, Tommy, if you had to give young people advice now wanting to get into the Western performance industry, whether it's cutting, because everything you just described in Raining, I see as well, I just went to the Cactus Classic to show out there and they had the qualifier for the Run For A Million horse show of Taylors in Vegas. Mm -hmm. I think the lowest slot for the top 15 was like a 226 and a half. That was the lowest slot. Wow. A 226. That's unreal. I left, I, I've watched the whole full day of qualifiers. It was a whole full day of qualifiers, like <clears> 130 <throat> horses. I shit you not, 110 of them w- were marking, you know, between a 222 and a 226. Okay. And it was extremely tough. I actually walked away from that horse show, because li- I'm kind of getting out of the reiners. i got one more reiner to show, and after he goes home, I'm strictly getting into the cow horses and moving into the cutters, okay. But I, I walked away from that horse show and I spoke to a buddy of mine. He said, how was the horse show? And I said, I'll be honest. I said, I'm kind of glad I'm getting out of rainers. And he said, why? I said, the fucking level of talent these horses have to be now is shocking. When you have to mark a 226 and a half to get the lowest slot to make run for a million. And there was a there was 100 horses there that marked a 224, 225. Phenomenal. See, at least in the cow events, cow, horse and cutting, we can all have a great horse each, but a cow's an equalizer, isn't it? You bet. You know, it's an equalizer. It, you might have a slightly better horse than mine, but if you don't get the right cows or don't get cut the right way, I be. might have a chance to beat you your be ass. Shown, yeah. The rainy now, it's just a horse and rider. There's nothing to equalize them now except the horse. That's a good point. There's nothing, point. There's yeah. nothing to separate those top 50 horses. And all, the only, th- okay, let me take that back. What's separating them now is a bubble. It's so tough now if they take a little trip, a step, a quarter of a spin more, you're done. It's that level now, that one little mess up, you're fucking done. So I said to my buddy, I said, if I was a random horse trainer now, I'd be a little bit worried because it's always been about stock you can take the greatest trainer in the world, but you put him on an average horse and he looks like an average trainer real quick, okay? And as a young trainer, I always used to envy those really good trainers thinking they were Superman. It wasn't until I got around them a little bit more I realized, yeah, they're sure good trainers, but they're sure riding some dirty good bitches. You put them on an average donkey, they don't look like Superman anymore. Well, in that sport, if you're not riding the horse flesh, just go home. You bet. You know what Now they obviously have levels of level one, level two, level three. So they've got playing that's fields. That's the
1: saving grace. They've
0: got. That's the yeah. only saving grace is they've got a playing field for all the trainers now. But holy shit, that open level it is tough, you know. Uh, and so I just walked away thinking, oh my God, you—if you are you an open level four trainer, you better be hunting that next horse. You better be. And, and they're so expensive now that, that you know the owners have to have some pretty deep pocketbooks to go play this game now at that open four, you know, that level four. Level and I see that with the cutting and I even see that within the cow horses now What's cool in the cow horses for years you could go buy those seven eight nine-year-old really well-trained bridle horses for 50,000 that was a lot now, now, four years ago, that all changed. You can't buy those really good world's greatest horsemen horses for under two hundred fifty thousand. That's even if they'd sell them. Most of them That's won't. That's good of band, isn't it? Mo- yeah. Most of them won't. Most of those top bridle horses, you couldn't get them bought for half a million now. Which is awesome because it's been in training for minimum of five years. Got started as a two-year-old. They're mm-hmm. seven-year-old at the minimum when they show there. Usually, most of the world's greatest horses are eight, nine, ten, anywhere from eight to fifteen, really. Sure. So, yeah, the damn things have been in training for five to ten years. They should be bringing that kind of money. So it's tremendous that that, that event is taking off. Um, so the horses are bringing, you know, what the owners got in them, for Christ's sake. You know what I mean? $75,000 now. That'll get you a nice roping horse, but that to get you, get, you, get you the best one. You know what I mean? Five years ago, you give 75 grand for a rope horse, you, you'll go riding the dirtiest some bitch out there. <laughs> yeah. Now, 75 grand don't buy you the best roping horse at all. You know what I mean? 125, 150 might get you close to that, but not 75. Those
1: roping fraternities and the barrel fraternities are, you know, I mean, they're the saving grace for those events. You used to not think of a roping horse with any earning potential.
2: No, not at all. How do you know what it takes to become successful? talk to someone who's done it clinton anderson became a multi-millionaire by leveraging his passion for horse training into a global brand and media empire starting with nothing but the change in his pocket and the will to succeed in doing so he revolutionized an industry and became a celebrity now you can put his experience and advice to work for your business with clinton anderson's business consultancy you can tap into clinton's unique perspective hear his straight talk and get his no-nonsense advice Just imagine yourself armed with Clinton's hard-earned knowledge and entrepreneurial spirit. So whether you own a ranch or any sort of business at all, we invite you to discover the transformative power of Clinton Anderson's leadership and innovation in your business. Call 1-888-287-7432 to take your business to the next level today.
0: So, Tommy, after this break, we're going to wrap up here. If you could go back and mentor yourself at 18, 19, 20, what would would you tell yourself to do differently in your life or some of the greatest lessons that you could think of? What would you like to tell yourself? You
1: know, there's not much I I would change. Um, And and here's why I say this. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, I was able to make a living doing something I really enjoy. Yep it provided me or because of the horse business i met the woman of my dream mhm and i have my son which is mm-hmm. my best friend yep and i got to take him to school or not school but business yeah my office every day yep what what else could i have asked for okay and i just feel so blessed okay
0: Fair enough. So nothing nothing else comes to mind as far as you wish you would have done this a little different or?
1: You know, I, I, I just think if you were asking about what advice could you give someone mm. starting out, you know, I'm a firm believer if you can conceive it and your heart can believe it, you can achieve it. That's awesome. And so um, you just have to have the drive. Yeah. You know?
0: Do you think the drive is either in people or it's not? Can you put the drive in them, or do you think it's either it's either innately in them or it's fucking innately not in them, Tommy?
1: They've got to... I think you have to have that drive to achieve anything. Um, well, I think that's paramount. I think if, if you don't have the drive...
0: That's what I think. You know I used to be foolish enough to believe that you could put drive into kids and put drive into people. And to some degree you can. like over the years, many years I've, I've had you know hundreds of <coughs> apprentices really. and and I always had the attitude, they'll just get around me, they'll get hungry, they'll see mm-hmm. what I'm doing. They'll walk with me. you know I can get them to have that eye of the tiger, let's go make some money, let's kick ass, et cetera. And I've noticed that when I told them when to go to bed and I told them when to get up, and I structured their lives, and kicked their ass when they did wrong, and praised them when they did right, and they traveled with me. When they were under my tutelage, after three or four years, they excelled. And then now they're ready to go out on their own and kick ass. And I've noticed something 100% of the time. When they get away from me, the kids that I found that were lazy when I found them, go back to being lazy. Being lazy. And the kids that had a work ethic and could really hustle, they may not have had a skill, they may not have had the right you know, life it's, skills to succeed, there. but they went on to succeed and do really Absolutely. well. But people are what they are. And, when I, and, and metaphorically, when I took my foot out of their ass, when they left my ranch and I took mm-hmm. my foot out of their ass, they went back to what they were. So if they started with drive and were a go-getter, they stayed with drive and a go-getter. Yeah. If they started kind of a lazy bum, they went back to being a lazy bum with no yeah. structure. That's just so crazy. I don't believe now that you can change people. I believe people are who they are. Yeah. You can change them as long as there's structure and you, you know, you're really controlling their lives. <clears throat> but ultimately, they got to be part of their own gotta rescue. Have that desire. They've yeah. got. I always have a saying. I'll help anybody, but you got to be part of your own fucking rescue. If her. I throw you yeah. a life preserver, you sure as shit better grab a hold of it and kick like a son bitch to get back to the boat. Yeah. I'm not gonna drag your ass back there with you not trying. So maybe Kyle, what could you say is some of the greatest lessons you've learned? Because I've heard the stories over the years about your dad and Mm -hmm. about how he's changed many people's lives in a very positive way. Um, What would you have to say is one of your dad's greatest qualities? Because he's been a little humble today, you know what I mean? I need to get some cocktails into him, but he's been a little humble today, but he's done some really cool shit. What would you say?
3: He's an optimist. Mm I mean, he believes that the things that may be impossible are are just, they can be achieved with just try a little harder. Yeah. Yeah, Or or the things that are impossible, they just might take a little longer. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's having that optimism that I think that he has been able to Uh, form things around, his idea about a horse, like, I'm not ready to give up on that horse yet, you know, we'll try this, or we'll do that, Mm -hmm. or this person, you know, maybe, you know, with a little bit of motivation that they can do this, I mean, he believes that uh, things are doable, and, and attainable, and, I mean, I think that applying that uh, could make a big to difference. your whole life. Yeah, uh, makes a makes a big difference.
0: Do you think there's a lot of opportunity for young people in the Western performance industry now, Tommy? Getting into this more than ever. You're an 18-year-old kid leaving high school. You don't want to go to college. You want to be a horse trainer. What's your what What's your opinion to tell
1: them? More than ever. More than ever. Right, because the end is so greater, mm-hmm. the end game is so much greater, which ought to heighten yeah their desire. Yeah. Yeah,
0: but one good thing, the trainers are always looking for that next kid with passion and desire. Yeah. So you can get into any barn you want. And Tommy already, you know, you already said how to get into the best barn. You know, that guy wanted in your barn. You didn't have a slot for him. He said, I'll work for free. Uh, uh, that's how you do it. He
1: qualifies.
0: Pick anybody in cutting, reining yeah. cow horse that you want to go work for. If they don't have a job, figure out how to go there for free. Yep. They will give you opportunity if you me and Francis my mentor always says when you want something bad enough you'll find a way and if you don't you'll find an excuse. That's exactly right. So it's that if you that want it bad right. enough you right. will find a yeah. way if you don't you'll find an excuse. Put, you put that perfect. Yeah. So so for kids watching this pick the trainer you want to go work for even if he's not hiring you know how to get in the door. Tell him you'll clean stalls 24/7. Tell him you'll sleep on the ground in a tent. Tell him, tell him you'll you'll sweep the driveway with your toothbrush. Do whatever the fuck it takes, you gotta show yeah. him. Show him yeah. Show him that you want it better than everybody else and you'll get that opportunity, it, it ain't a secret. You don't have to know him, introduce yourself, put on a decent set of clothing, go meet him, tell him you'll start at the bottom because no other kid wants to do it. You stand out so quickly mm-hmm. because no other kid wants to start at the bottom. So you'll, you'll rise through the ranks quickly, would you agree?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That that and that's. It may seem like a long, hard road. It may be a shortcut. Oh,
0: it's very short now. I think the opportunity for kids to get from the bottom to the top is so quicker now. If you're willing to go humble yourself and start at the bottom, yep. not start halfway up the ladder, or worse yet, well, a lot of them want to start at the top of the ladder. If you'll literally walk, most trainers would be absolutely shocked if a if an 18-year-old kid walked up and said. I wanna be you one day, but I know I've gotta clean stalls first. Mm-hmm. So if you'll give me a pitchfork yeah. and let me start cleaning stalls, and I'll do it for free, you'll be shocked how quickly after two or three months, six months, he will say, hey, go get that horse and show me how you can ride. Another six months, you got three horses to train. Another six months, you got your training horses most of the day. You would be shocked how quickly that trainer will respect you and want to advance you if you're just willing to humble yourself and pick up a
3: fucking fork. And I think
1: Would you agree, I agree or disagree? disagree. Yeah. I agree 100%. I
3: think that's human nature. Somebody that, that um, doesn't uh, want to hire you, doesn't, they have all the help they need, mm-hmm. whatever, but you're, you're humbling yourself to them. Give me anything. Give me anything. You're going to force them to give you, you a shit. That's what he give did to shot. your dad. I
0: mean, that's. I forced Gordon McKinley to take me. He had no <laughs> money. I forced him to take me because I'd work for free. That guy got a job in your barn because he was willing to work for free. And, I'm, and it didn't, he wasn't working for free for very long. You get what I'm saying? But it was, sure. a, it was a fact that you were willing to go there and you realize that experience is payment. Ex- life experience yep. is payment. <clears throat> because other than that, they're just a warm body. They'll, they'll cause more damage than good. Fucking up your tractor, killing the horse, backing the semi into the side of the building. Fuck, you're a walking liability, most kids. Walking yeah. liability. But if you're willing to start at the bottom, you'll get <clears throat> your shot. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you, Tommy. Thank you so much, Kyle, for coming in. Thanks for having um, me. Thank you You've for uh, me. You've changed an industry. Uh, you've changed a lot of people's lives from youth to, to amateurs to professionals. I've always had the ability, when people ask me, the because I, I always have a saying when I talk to people, I always ask them, I think every trainer and every person in the world does one thing better than everybody else, okay? They might do more than one thing, but everybody's got one niche. If you could say, what does that one trainer do there that's just so much better than everybody else? It could be the way he cares for his horses. It could be the way he wraps their polos. I don't, I'm just making shit up, but everybody's got sure. something. When I ask people about you, and I've talked to a lot of people who work for you, here's the things I've heard. They always said, Tommy's greatest skill that he did better than everybody else was his people skills. He made everybody feel welcome. He made everybody feel genuine. He would introduce to a new customer, great to have you here, thanks for being here. He had phenomenal people <clears throat> skills, heard that many times. Another one I heard many times from many people who worked for you was, they'd chuckle and they'd just say, Tommy was just three fucking steps ahead of everybody else <laughs> in all fucking directions. They'd just look at me and just kind of shrug their shoulders. Yeah. When, every, when everybody else was looking one step ahead, he was looking three steps ahead. He was always smart about the next change that was about to happen, the next curve that was about to happen. He didn't wait till he got up on the curve and figure out how to slow down. He was already looking at two curves down the road. So you have innate nice gift for that as well and people notice it. Um, a lot of people said you had a great eye for great horses. You knew when you found a great one, write the fucking check. Don't, make, don't dick around. Pull your checkbook out and make that because somebody's gonna grab it quickly. Somebody's gonna grab that horse quickly. You know, so you've changed a lot of people's lives.
1: It's nice of you to say that.
0: Yeah. Well, it wasn't me. I'm just repeating what people said about you. You know, that's why I wanted to get to. You know, I've met I've met you a couple of times over the years, but we've never become. You know, you know, had a good sit down conversation and that's why i was so excited to get you on the show and talk to you and so forth i'd like to get you back at some point to dive more into particular stories you know when you were in the restroom kyle and i got to bullshitting (laughs) and i said you write down top some of the top 10 stories that you know about your dad and we'll dive into that next time because there's some lot of comical funny stories in your career of what you've done and, and how you've done it and we want to dive into them but but uh I want young people to know there's a big future in the Western performance industry if you're willing to work, and you're a living proof of it. Left home at 15, ran away from home. What are you, 81 or 82 now, what'd you say? 81. 81. You made a small fortune, might be a large one. You tight some bitch, okay? And uh, and you've done well for yourself by by doing, having that attitude of nothing is fucking impossible. Yeah. Nothing's impossible. You surrounded yourself with great people. You surrounded yourself with great staff. You rewarded the great staff, and you built people up around you. So, cheers to you, Tommy. Thank you, mate. Kyle, cheers, you're a lucky you son of bitch to have this as your father. Very true, and, uh, very true. And uh, just proud to have you both here and thank you for being here and thank you for everything you do for the horse industry. And, and I'll thank you on the behalf of every kid that came through your doors in the last 65, 70 years that you either fired, you either kicked their ass or you either gave them a raise or you taught them a lesson. There was still a lesson there. Even if they got their ass fired, there was yeah. still a lesson there. <clears throat> so a lot of them probably haven't thanked you, but I'll thank you for, on their behalf <laughs> that there was a lesson there. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Thank you, mate. Today's episode was filmed and produced by Innercut Productions, marketing by Stewart & Associates, and organized and administrated by Down Under Horsemanship. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit the subscribe button and leave a rating. Follow us and stay up to date on social media, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. See you next time, mate. Cheers.